This episode of the Terrible Terror Podcast is brought to you by Ryland's Podcast Treats. For when you're podcasting and you're hungry, you reach for a Ryland's. It's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode I delve into the world of horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrifying flicks. If you made a horror movie on your phone, or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now, what do you get when you try to make something that's funny, but it ends up just being a corporate chill of a movie? Why you get Little Nicky. Why, thank you, P.O.D., and welcome to a new episode of the Terrible Terror Podcast. Uh, yeah, so there's a couple of things I gotta say right off the top of the, the podcast, I guess. I was gonna say right off the top of the bat, but uh, is that the right saying? Is that the correct nomenclature? Uh, but basically, yes, I know, it's not necessarily a horror movie now that we're talking about Little Nicky, but I kind of want to do something fun uh, and something that some people have asked, why haven't I done it before? And it's like... Oh, okay, well, here, I'll make a theme around it just so I can get to this movie for some way, shape, or form. I'm not sure why I thought that, hey, this is definitely the way that I should go and I should do fucking Little Nicky, but here I fucking am. Now, <laughs> luckily, this isn't a film that I saw in the theaters because part of me feels like that this would be one that I would be itching to get out of. Like, this is like Jeepers Creepers 2 level of... I don't want to fucking be here anymore. Uh, it's just, it's, man, man, it's rough. Okay, now, that doesn't mean that I did not laugh the entire time that I was watching this movie, but it does mean that I'm just kind of like, ugh, it, it has its moments in there. And, you know, again, it's one of those things. If you really loved it, great. I'm glad that you love it. I'm glad that you find a lot of this really fucking funny. But there's just some times where I just wanted to fucking put my head through a goddamn wall while I was watching this movie. So usually when a movie does that to me, um, people seem to really fucking enjoy the episode of the podcast. I'm just lucky that the guy from the Godzilla episode didn't show up and fucking forced me to do this years and years and years ago. So, Little Nicky, what can I fucking say? Now this is when Adam Sandler was at his highest, and he has some great fucking movies, okay? The Wedding Singer is probably one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, I really fucking loved Happy Gilmore, Billy Madison, everything really at the beginning of his career, I've been really, really, like, I was stoked on. As things went on, it wasn't as good, and to me, Little Nicky kind of falls into that, like, realm. Now, the stuff that he's done with, like, stand-up, and especially that last stand-up special that he did for Netflix, fucking amazing. I think it was fucking hilarious. I love that he went into that. And I really love Punch Drunk Love. Like, that film is also one of my highest, like, regarded films. And I'm really looking forward to that Uncut Gemstones movie. I think that's coming out next month. 
um, or it's at least sometime soon, where I think that, you know, when he does a little more of the serious stuff, like comedians in general, when they do like more serious roles, I, I tend to like it a little more. I don't know why, maybe because, you know, I grew up with them and them doing the laughs thing, but it just seemed like there was a formula that eventually started happening when he was doing his films, and honestly, it kind of sounded like he didn't give a shit. I mean, I know a lot of people say that, and maybe I'm just fucking, you know, beating a dead horse with it, but when you look at a film like Happy Gilmore, for example, he is so fucking energetic. The shit that he does, it's just ridiculously funny uh, from anywhere from, like, the fight with, you know, what's his name, Bob Barker, uh, to the whole thing with Chubbs. It's like he's really getting into it and he's really enjoying the role. And nowadays you watch something, you know, and I can't say that I've seen something like The Ridiculous Six. But even in the trailers for some of the newer stuff that he's done, it's kind of like, eh, I'm, I'm here. Hey, hey, look at me. I'm here. You know, and luckily Little Nicky is not that film. I'm not saying that this is the start of the downfall. I'm just saying that it might have been the start of things where maybe they start going downhill because... The movies weren't necessarily reviewed as well. I'm not saying all of his were reviewed like that great. But it's kind of like that slippery slope. And this is maybe where he kind of started slipping. Um, A lot of people could say it was Big Daddy. Uh, Other people, you know, maybe it's something later on. Something like Grown Ups and stuff like that. But when you listen to like Hotel Transylvania, it really sounds like he's really into it. And you look at that Uncut Gemstones movie. And that movie looks like he's, again, really into it and really into the character. So I'm really hoping that he has a resurgence and that it comes back and he's fucking great once again. Not saying that he's always been bad or that he was only great at one point in time. Because everybody, you know, has lulls in their career where all of a sudden everything is, you know, pretty fantastic once again. So, little Nicky. Now, the film itself had a very high budget of $85 million, and it managed to only bring in $58.3 million in the box office. Now, some people are going to look at that and they're going to say, well, it's a total bomb. Well, I guess when Adam Sandler was having the type of run that he was having where these films were just fucking mega hits, it's one of those films that just didn't live up to the hype that maybe the studios thought Adam Sandler could bring in. So... It's really one of those films that either you're going to love it or you're really going to hate it. It's just, I think that he had the right idea. You know, it was co-written by Adam Sandler as well. And I do believe that the whole idea of doing a comedy based out of hell is relatively good. I mean, recently, if you look at the film Hell and Back, I really enjoy that movie. It's more of an adult you know, type of animated comedy. And that's all done with a stop motion, I believe. Or at least it's made to look that way where I felt like a lot of that worked. A lot of the jokes worked really well in that film. Now this, (laughs) I just don't know where to place it. Like, I don't know what exactly they wanted to do. Here's this guy that has a weird speech impediment because he got hit in the head with a fucking shovel by one of his devil brothers, and that's the way that he, you know, spoiler alert, um, (laughs) that's the way that he talks like that. But he's not, like, a bad guy. And... Maybe that was something that I was kind of expecting. Because when you look at the trailers, you do see, okay, he's a little different than his brothers. But you don't realize exactly how much different he actually is than his two demon brothers. Um, It's got a huge fucking cast. Like, 
the amount of people from Saturday Night Live in this cast, and especially from the years that Sandler was on, is huge. Uh, you've got John Lovitz in a small cameo, you've got Kevin Nealon, you got Dana Carvey, you got Harvey Keitel, and you've got all kind of the rest of the players that always pop up in Adam Sandler movies. So, and if I can't remember all the names, you know, Rob Schneider, of course, I can remember him. But uh, you recognize most of them throughout pretty much every movie that they've ever fucking done. And the funny one is the guy that does the insult uh, comic dog, you know, Triumph. He's the voice of Beefy in this film, so he's the comedian that's playing a dog that normally plays a dog as a comedian. So <laughs> it's just kind of weird in that regard. But like I said, the, the cast is huge. Even Rodney Dangerfield is in this goddamn movie. And it, it surprises me Reese Witherspoon is in this movie. It, it's just absolutely ridiculous the amount of people that got to do little roles in this film and that agreed to. I guess... Again, like I'd say at this time, you know, Adam Sandler's big, it's a comedy, it seems really silly, really funny, and you maybe you could just have a lot of fun with it. Like, I don't view Harvey Keitel in the role of Satan as, you know, Al Pacino in Jack and Jill. They are not equivalent at all. I actually think that uh, Harvey Keitel is having a really fun time doing this role, even though he's not in it that much, but where he's, like, completely in it. And you'll get the gist of that if you've never seen this movie. Uh, I think that he's really just having fun. Like, he looks like he's enjoying himself being on this film. In fact, that's something that it's positive for this whole film. Is that everybody that's doing the film looks like they're having fun. Even if everything is not necessarily the way that it should go. Nobody's really phoning anything in. Except for maybe one, maybe two people. Um... I, I definitely think Patricia Arquette is kind of phoning it in, uh, at least a little bit. Uh, and, you know, the brother that plays Adrian, at times it feels that way. But for the most part, I think that the acting is just fine. Um, and, and like I said, there's a lot of alums that are in this that I was very surprised to see. In fact, in the very first scene of the movie, we actually run directly into John Lovitz. Oh, yes, it's ladies' night and the field is showtime. Rough day at the office, Mrs. Dunleavy. You'll feel better once you get out of those work clothes. <laughs> and into some sweats. Mm. Oh, I wish you would let me rub those feet. Of course, I wouldn't use my hands. Victoria just told me her secret. Why diddly dee are those things for me? Oh. Mom. Uh, oh, Scotty Dunleavy. What unfortunate timing. Get out. Don't you know this is naughty time? Hello? Hello, Scotty. Say, why don't you be a good little boy and go downstairs, let your mother get comfy, all right? Who is this? This is a big bird who wants to see the rest of Mommy. <laughs> oh, oh, 
Scotty. Is that a man up our tree? No, no, tell her it's a bird. It's just a big bird. Welcome to what? Where am I? Aren't you that horny guy who was pretending to be a big bird? Checking out that beautiful mom? Yes, I am. Now you're gonna see what a big horny bird actually looks like. In hell. So the intro of this movie to me is fucking hilarious. I love John Lovitz. And then it's Kevin Nealon that's right there playing the gatekeeper of hell that introduces him to the horny bird. This makes me, especially when I first saw the film and when I saw it this time, like I was actually relatively excited. I'm like, well, maybe the credits are wrong. It's one of those comedies where, and comedies are really hard to determine, right? I believe I talked about this in the Young Frankenstein episode. It's really, like, critics tend to not like them, unless they're, like, really, quote-unquote, smart comedies. If you take a cheesy-ass, just generic comedy or gross-out comedy or anything like that, things that anybody else might find funny, critics don't necessarily find that very funny at all, right? There are some that do, and then there are some that don't, and... I fall myself like kind of in the in-between of all those. Sometimes those are really funny to me and sometimes they're not. Comedies are so subjective and it's one of those things where, you know, your funny bone might not hit in the right spot. So that's why I say, even though I feel the way I do about the movie, there are still some parts in here that I find fucking hilarious and that's one of them. Just, and it's probably also a lot because of John Lovitz and I fucking love that guy as well and I grew up watching him in Saturday Night Live and all of his fucking roles that he did. I mean, even Mom and Dad Save the Earth, I like sheepishly love because he's the main reason he's got that one joke about the mutton chops that kills me every fucking time. So you look at this and to me, I'm like, okay, if I'm just trying to be subjective once again, this is a good way to start the movie. It's weird. You're like, okay, dude's peeping in on the, you know, mom. She's changing. It's hilarious when the kid comes in the room. He, like, has the number and he's like, hey, Scotty, get your mom, get your fucking ass out of there. I want to watch your mom and dress more. Make her get into some jogging pants. What does jogging pants got to do with anything? Like, I'm pretty sure that he's getting ready to get into his jogging pants because he's going to head on down to the strip club and he's going to make sure he's nice and loose while he's in there, if you know what I mean. So it's just one of those things that's like, okay, this is odd. And of course he's going to die. Like, you're not going to start in this, like, serene neighborhood and have everything all nice. Oh, what'd you do today, you know, Scotty? Oh, I can't wait to show you what I did for class. And then fucking goes into the tree and there's creepy old fucking John Lovitz hamming it up as much as he can. Again, you can tell that even in this small little role... He is fucking killing it, right? He's doing what he needs to do. And even Kevin Nealon, when he comes in, I just, it makes me laugh that whole setup where it's just like, oh yeah, you're going to find out what a horny bird is in hell. And then he goes in. So as an intro to a movie, this is great. This is personally my type of humor. You know, it's a little kind of awkward, punny, like cringy type of thing. Wonderful. And then it just kind of goes from there. And it, 
has some of these moments of brilliance to me like this, but not necessarily does everything fucking hit. So you get to see hell and you see everybody basically kind of, you know, being tortured in some way. And it's actually a relatively well-imagined hellscape. You know, there's the fire, there's the giant castle, there's all the people being tortured. You know, it's hell. What what else can you say that it is down there? And it's funny, too, when he gets that, when he's the bird, you hear him scream, I deserve this! <laughs> Which I think is fucking hilarious. And then we go into the castle... And we get to meet Nikki for the very first time, who's rocking out to some fucking sweet Van Halen. And then we learn why he talks the way he does. Knock, knock. Hey, Jimmy. What are you doing, Nikki? I'm just jamming. Yeah, father wants to see you and your brothers down in the throne room. He's not retiring today, is he? He just wants to talk to you and Cassius and Adrian about who's going to rule hell for the next 10,000 years. Well, what do I need to go for? He's not going to pick me. Come on. I happen to think you'd make a great devil. Nah, I'm not into evil and torture and all that stuff. Plus, a Prince of Darkness should have sort of a distinguished look to him. And let's face facts, I'm no George Clooney. <laughs> you know, you're not a bad-looking guy, Nikki. Look at you in that picture. Yeah, I used to talk normal, too, but that was before my brother Cassius hit me in the face with a shovel. That's me now, and I accept it. Well, your brothers are two of the sickest guys I've ever seen. For some reason, you're not. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Well, their mothers were fire dragons, and my mother was a goat, so how am I going to compete with that? Your mother was not a goat. Your brothers are just playing with you. Either way, if one of those psychos gets picked, I'm doomed. I knew it, Adrian. He's finally retiring. Cassius, I've been waiting on this day for 10,000 years. Though man picks me to take over hell, I'm going to keep torture going 24-7. No breaks. You got him right in the eye. <laughs> hey, oh. how's daddy's little girl doing today? Oh, I didn't see you guys over there. What's up? Hey, shovel face. You want mine, Russell? Actually, no, I'm all right. I, I was thinking of chilling out by the throne for a little bit. I'm going to mind wrestle you whether you like it or not. Well, I have to warn you, I'm getting pretty good at it. Then I guess I can't make you do this. Oh. Okay, mercy. You win. I give. Game over. I'll what are you boys oh doing? Ah. Nothing, Dad. Just hitting the old punching bags. Cassius, didn't I tell you to stay out of your brother's mind? I forgot. Maybe this will help you remember. Now everybody comes. So, okay, we get introduced to Jimmy and Nikki. Jimmy is basically like the devil's right-hand man. And Nikki is one of his three sons, one of the devil's three sons. So, and from what you kind of gather from this, and especially the way that Jimmy talks to Nikki and the way that... Harvey Keitel's devil looks over at Nikki. Nikki is probably his favorite. Uh, he gets to him right away. You know, he sees that his brothers are picking on him. He kind of helps him out in this situation. And then we also kind of get a little bit of the rest of the humor that's going to kind of go throughout the rest of the film. It's 
So the whole thing with like the fact that got hit with a shovel in the face that caused him to have the speech impediment in the face. When you look at the pictures and they do show two different pictures, like what happened before and what happened after one where it's all the family together. They all look relatively normal. It's all drawn really well. When it goes over to the, you know, here he is with his face disfigured like type of painting that it got up on the wall. It shows that his jaw is kind of a little bit off, right? But when you look at Sandler doing the role, he's more or less like talking out of the side of his mouth. He's talking like this. He's just talking like this the entire film. Like, not exactly that, but it's just like this weird fucking whisper. It's nothing like special. He's not like... Like, I was just doing there trying to imitate it, like, spitting out the side of his mouth or doing anything that's very, very odd. He's just fucking talking with a whisper and a little bit of a lisp. Like, there's nothing really weird about it. He didn't necessarily need to go this way. And when he's talking, it doesn't really look like he's had anything, like, weird done. Like, his jaw is supposed to be, I guess, dislocated to the side. And yeah, he talks out of the side of his mouth. But that's all he's really doing. He doesn't have, like, a disfigured face. I mean, he says, oh, I'm no George Clooney. and Which is a fucking, another fucking joke that just, ugh he's not George Clooney. Like he's not saying that like, Oh yeah, I didn't used to be fucking beautiful beforehand, but you know, it's not like he's absolutely terrible at the same time. He's just him. I I don't know where else to put it. Like it's Adam Sandler. Yeah. He thinks it's funny. Uh, well, Nikki does, I should say. And maybe that's supposed to give you a little insight into Nikki as well. Is that like, he's kind of like with the low key stuff and he, he finds kind of the odd things like funny or little jokes here and there. And okay, I get little dabs, but then you go into the next scene when you meet the two brothers and you've got, you know, I can never remember the actor's name, but it's Debo, um, from Friday. Uh, and also the president from the fifth element, but the guy always acts like the same, even when he was in the fifth element, I'm like, Oh yeah, it's just fucking Debo. And then when it was in Friday after next, Oh yeah, it's fucking Debo. Well, that's because it was Debo, but even here it's Debo again. Like there isn't much change in between the way that he does. And I'm also realizing as I'm listening back to everything and not actually watching it, this movie might be better as an audio play than an actual fucking movie. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. I kind of like it when you can't see anything and you're just kind of making things up on your own when you're looking at this, especially if you've never seen it. I, I honestly think it works a little better, but that could be just me after watching this film. So it's just like you get into that scene, you meet Adrian, you meet Debo. You can tell that Debo's more of like the muscle type of guy. And Adrian seems to be a little more maybe of the brains of the whole operation where Nikki is just fucking Nikki. And the first thing is that they do mind wrestling. And what's the outcome of it? He starts hitting himself in the fucking nuts. That's what he makes him do. I'm just... Okay, I get it. It can be funny, but it's kind of a cheap joke here in this situation. I wish there was maybe a little something more other than let's just go for a fucking nut shot. Like, I felt like that intro was relatively smart and funny, even though it's a little bit crude. I mean, come on, it's the fucking humping bird. It's like the fucking humping robot from Robot Chicken, but I feel that TV show does smart things with that fucking robot every now and then. Sometimes it just does crude things, and like I said, crude things can be really funny at the same time, but 
overall, I feel like the whole outset of that joke that they set for this is very, very smart, even though it's a little crude. So you go to this and it's just like, oh yeah, you guys going to mind wrestle. And I thought something more was going to come out of it, but no, it's just him repeatedly fucking punching himself in the balls while, you know, basically say, okay, you win. Okay. Got it. Like that part I think is funny, like the internal monologue, but I don't know if it necessarily needs to be with the ball punching at the same time. So this is where you get introduced into the devil and you see Harvey Keitel for the very first time. And again, he's coming in there. He's acting debonair. He looks like he's having fun doing this role. And in fact, it's probably one of my favorite depictions of Satan as it is. It's not a serious Satan. You know, again, like the Constantine Satan is probably one of my favorite of all time. Where this one, I think it's actually relatively fun, relatively good when he's whole. In the other scenes, I'm kind of like, eh, maybe it's not. But definitely during the intro part and during the ending part, I feel that he's a lot better in this role as Satan. So Satan's brought them all together, or the devil, or whomever you want to call him. And he's basically telling the, the kids what his plans are and who the new devil is going to be for the next 10,000 years. This, as some of you might know is my 10,000th year as Prince of Darkness. So I think the time has come to discuss who will succeed me. Uh, knock, knock. Yes, Jimmy. Don't forget, you're shoving a pineapple up Hitler's ass at 4 p.m. This was a very difficult decision because I have three wonderful sons. I mean, Adrian, so smart, so ruthless. Where's makeup? And Cassius, so strong, so tough. Don't forget clinically insane. And Nikki, such a sweet boy. But after much thought and careful consideration, I've decided that the ruler for the next 10,000 years is going to have to be me. What? Hallelujah. Harry, that's The important thing for the stability of our rule is to maintain the balance between good and evil. And I don't think any of you are ready for that responsibility yet. Damn, this is bullshit. I don't like that language. <clears throat> right, right. Send him in. I'm sorry, boys. I have to get back to work. It was good hanging with you, Dad. I'll check you later. Okay, so he's supposed to be the devil here, right? And he doesn't like that kind of language? What the fuck? Come on, man. You can take a little bit of that. There's like a soft spot to this devil. And he kind of does explain that there has to be a balance of good and evil and that you can't like outreach your boundaries, right? And that's what makes a good devil. It's kind of odd. And the fact that he's also going to stick a pineapple up fucking Hitler's ass in the next scene makes me feel like, okay, well, there's... There's, like, good to this devil, and then there's, like, this other crap where he doesn't want to deal with the fact that his kids are fucking fighting amongst each other and that the other two are just, one, Nicky's not ready because he's Nicky and he's too sweet of a boy, whereas the other two are just too fucking ruthless. So none of those, like, brothers here are really worthy of taking over hell and being the good balance or the bad balance between good and evil right so it's just kind of an interesting situation and i'm just 
I don't know what to think about this. And like, I know that it's just the setup for the way that the movie's going, but I kind of wish that he was a little more eviler than everything else. You even get John Lovitz coming back and he's like looking in there and he's like, hey, Satan, I like your cape. And then he snaps or waves his hand and then the fucking humping bird comes back and takes him off and he's like, I deserve this. And again, I laugh because I find that fucking funny. And even in this scene, I do find it funny when he, like, little Nicky's making his little, like, jabs at each other. He's like, where's makeup? It's clinically insane. And then when he finds out that he's not going to be there, oh, hallelujah. And he's like, oh, that sucks. Like, that shit to me is, like, it's subtle and it's really fucking funny. Whereas just <laughs> the ball punching, I just don't get um, and even then, the Hitler getting a pineapple up the asshole, like the whole selection where Hitler selects the small one, he's like, nah, and he's like, oh, fine, I guess it's gonna be the giant one, and he sticks it in fucking, like, you know, pineapple spikes first, or whatever you call the top of the fucking pineapple, I don't know, I'm not a fucking fruit person, uh, so... From here, we go and we see that the brothers, they're fucking pissed off. They're really pissed off because neither of them are going to be the new devil because dad decided that he's going to hold it for another 10,000 years. And so they're going to have to wait a little longer. And of course, they have a plan to basically oust their father in a way that is a little, I don't know, necessarily want to say unconventional, but a little probably eviler than the dad wants it to be. 20,000 years ago, Grandpa Lucifer said it's better to rule in hell than it is to serve in heaven. Well, I'm tired of serving in hell. We need somewhere where we can rule. <laughs> Bring it on, big man. Let's see what you got. <laughs> Could you concentrate for five seconds? I am concentrating, man. I'm sorry. After careful consideration, I must respectfully decline. I can't stand retirement. Come on, just let me win one Super Bowl. In exchange for eternal damnation of your soul? You're much too nice a guy for me to want to do that to you, Mr. Marino. You did it for Namath. Yeah, but Joe was coming here anyways. This sucks. I'll just go to the Super Bowl as an announcer, and I'll win myself an Emmy. That's the spirit. You're a good devil, Dad. And I also happen to be a Jets fan. <laughs> What do you think about us? We could create our own hell there. You saying we can go up there and kill everyone? Eventually, Cassius, but first we'd have to corrupt as many souls as we can so that when we do destroy them... Their damn souls will be ours. It's our time, brother. This is not good. This is not good. Whoa, 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 fellas, what are you doing? We're leaving! If you go through there, the fire flows in! Not out! So they decide to leave hell and they're going to basically try to create hell on earth. And by them leaving, it turns the wall of fire that's there into basically stone and nobody can get out of hell and nobody can come back into hell. Well, the souls can't get out, but as we learn, the demons, well, Nikki and his brothers can easily go between hell and earth. It's just that their dad is basically stuck down there and now he's going to get start like weakened and shit. But we'll get into that in a second. So the basic plot premise of this film is Brothers are pissed off. They can't be the devil, so they're going to go to Earth, and Nikki's got to go up to Earth and fucking bring the devil boys back. It's really fucking thin, to be honest with you. It's just like, okay, I get it. 
I, I know what they need to do, but it's just like, <laughs> you know what it is? It, it is about this film is it's the soundtrack to this movie. Okay. There are two types of soundtrack to this film. There is the fucking awesome, like, mix of rock alternative metal songs that are going on in the film during key moments of the film that are only fucking, like, 30 seconds long. It's like, it's right in your fucking face the entire fucking time. And it really fucking pisses me off. And I know that I want to talk about this later, but I'm going to talk about this right fucking now because it's getting my fucking head... It's that, like, they go to a scene and they play a 30 or 10 second or 20 second fucking clip of a fucking song. And it's like, all it is is just to basically move you to that fucking scene. You know, like, somebody does something, you know, I'm the, we're the best around. And that's what they're saying. And so, in the background, you go, you're the best around. Nobody's gonna ever keep you down. Like, that's it. They just take that one fucking section of the song and they put it into the goddamn movie making you think that it's fucking important to the plot they do this over and over and over and over fucking again and it's just like let sometimes let the song fucking play out or do something different with it you've got all these awesome fucking songs that you're using and they're only to emphasize a fucking point that you're doing in the fucking movie it just doesn't make any sense to me and then you've got like in this scene where they're going and they're like, okay, we're going to fucking escape hell. And we're going to be fucking badasses. And we're going to create hell on earth. And this is how we're going to make sure we usurp whatever my dad is fucking doing. Which is, you know, again, I said, I think it's kind of paper thin. But at the same time, it's at least fucking like something. It's something evil that they're doing. But the fucking soundtrack is... Ha 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 I'm so happy everything is great isn't this cartoony and whimsical like what the fuck is this like why the fuck do you need to have this type of music during this type of scene take one of those badass fucking metal songs that you probably fucking got the rights to for this fucking movie and play that fuck I'll even take a fucking highway to hell at this point in the movie you know cause we're gonna do this even though it could be seen as cheesy as fuck for this little fucking scene and I bet you that fucking song is in here somewhere it's just ridiculous to me, it's completely and utter ridiculous that when we want to do these, like, kind of badass, simple scenes, we play this cheery fucking music, but then when we want to do something that we're just saying something, or we're just moving in a transition from a scene, we take these awesome songs, and we take the one lyric that is going to match you to that fucking scene, and that's what we fucking play. It just... That part ruins a lot of this fucking movie to me. And and here is a great scene where I can see that... Uh, where I feel, not necessarily I can see, but I feel that you could take that and give more emphasis and more fucking weight to what's going on. But instead, I've got this tra-la-la fucking cheery bullshit that's going on in the background where they're running through. Oh, this is supposed to be funny, but it's not a funny fucking scene. Other than the fact that Debo fucking throws a rock and hits the demon in the back of the head. And we have the Dan Marino scene. I'm okay with the cheery fucking music going behind the Dan Marino scene because it's fucking funny. Like, that scene, to me, is fucking hilarious because Marino could never win a fucking Super Bowl, even though he's a great fucking quarterback, or he was a great fucking quarterback. And the fact of the matter is, is that both the Devils, like, one, you're too fucking nice, so you're not coming down here. And two, he's a fucking Jets fan. And you know what? Of course the fucking Devil would be a Jets fan. You know? I'm just saying. 
That's just the way that things go. If he's going to be in New York, you think he's going to be a Giants fan? No, you'd be a fucking Jets fan. And you probably helped out fucking Joe Namath. Just basically like he said. And he fucking helped out Namath in this thing. So, like, you have that in between. And, and that's one of the reasons why I left it in there. Because I did like the joke so much. But it's... I just feel like you could do those kind of, like, whimsical... And it doesn't even have to be, like, in-your-face type of comedic shit. It can just be, like, a small, low-key, like... I don't know. I don't fucking write music. I don't know how to do this shit. Who do you think I am? Here on Mars? Come on. But it's just ridiculous that you you have this, like, that, like, scene. I get it. You have, like, there's a little bit of a slapstickiness to it because Kevin Nealon comes down, basically is like, oh, shit, I don't need to stop them. And he can't really stop them because he's just a fucking gatekeeper. And so when he goes back and he tells the devil that, hey, you know what? They escaped and we're not going to be able to get out of here. They, they pardon up the flames. Of course, what does he do? Fuck. What does the devil fucking do to the gatekeeper? What does he do? Fucking puts tits on his head. Tits. I don't know what to say about this. I don't. Like, <laughs> I, I can't say it's funny or if it's not. Like, I don't know which way to fucking go in this situation. Is it truly funny? Is it just... Like, oh my god, why? Like, it's ridiculous, okay? In terms of that regard, it's fucking ridiculous. And the jokes and the running jokes they do with his fucking tit head, like, are, are hit and miss, to be honest. Some of them are really funny, some of them are not. One of them that comes up a little later on is fine, and then fucking Lucifer's fucking obsession with the tits is something that just kind of goes on for the rest of the movie. So, okay, he could have done something more to it, especially since he was like, it seemed like everything was cool and everything was kosher, but then, of course, the last minute, he gives him fucking tits on his head. So, after he's given the gatekeeper tits, you know, they go over to the wall, and he basically explains to Nikki that he's the only one that can really save the day, which, uh, you know, we know is not going to turn out that well. Not a damn soul's going to get through that. This fire is solid as rock. We gotta get this bad boy burning again. Do that, Cassius and Adrian have to come back through the other way. So go get him, Dad. I'm too weak. The process has already begun. So go get him, Jimmy. I'm just a demon. I don't have devil blood in me. I I wouldn't last two minutes with your brothers up there. Are you saying it's up to me? Huh? You said no souls could get through that. Nicky, are you a soul? Or are you the spawn of Satan? I never been to Earth, Dad. I never even slept over some other dude's house. Nikki, the worst thing that could happen on Earth is you get killed. In which case, boom, you end up back here. So you're saying I need to go to Earth and kill my brothers? No go. They left together at the exact same time. They gotta come back together at the exact same time. Here. Get them to drink from this. One sip and they'll be trapped inside. Once you've got both of them, you bring the flask back through the gate. Let me see. Gross! He's got less than a week. Dad, I don't know if I can do this. Son, try your best. So, he's got to go to Earth, where he's never been before, 
He's got to somehow fight his brothers, which he's way too weak to do. And he's not really sure himself. So, of course, the moment that he does go through and goes up to Earth, he gets run over by a fucking subway train and is sent right back down to hell within the first ten seconds. To which everybody points out. There's also that demon that's in the background. That guy's going to be a running guy that happens in multiple scenes. And we'll hear from him a little bit later on. So, now that we're here and... Nikki has finally, you know, gotten himself on his way to Earth. He's managed to avoid the very first or very second train that's coming his way. We're introduced to another character in the film. We're introduced to Beefy, the dog, who is going to be his guide. And this is really ridiculous here, okay? So, he's never been there. He's got to, and even Beefy kind of explains to him as well, like, he's got to figure out where the fuck his brothers are, who can take over other people's bodies, uh, in a city that has, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of fucking people in it, and he's got to find two people that could be fucking anybody. And he's a fucking idiot. So, you know, of course this is how comedy is going to fucking ensue, because we're going to watch him, like, figure out what's going on with everything. Now, uh, before I play this scene... I'm gonna. Not, I'm not gonna say who it is, but there's a very special cameo that happens at the end of it once he gets back up to the surface of New York City. I'm Nikki. That's terrific. Now get off the track and come with me, handsome. Okay. Welcome to Grand Central Station in New York City. My name is Beefy. I'm an old friend of your father's. He asked me to help you out. I just want to find my brothers and be on my way. It's not going to be easy. Your brothers can possess people, so they probably won't look like themselves. You have to be suspicious of everyone. All right, bro. Well, the jig is up then. Get in the flash. Come on, slide right on in. Hey, me, moron. Sorry, I... Now there's this blind guy outside you might think is possessed, but he's just crazy. Okay. Hey, yo, see with these blind eyes. I know the good Lord still loves me. He loves all of his children while he loves you. That's and he loves you. Here he goes. You make the Lord very nervous. All right. You be, I'm burning now. Take it easy. Help bar is burning me alive. He's burning. Burning me. The beast is alive. He's among us. Making friends already. So, if you don't know who that is right away just by the voice, let me just tell you right away it's Quentin fucking Tarantino. What the fuck is he doing in this movie? And honestly, I'm gonna say that he's probably one of my more, like, I want to say favorite parts of the movies, but he's one of the parts of the film that I like a little bit, and he constantly shows up throughout the whole fucking movie in many different fucking scenes. And it's just a lot of slapstick, and it's good that he's not taking himself so fucking serious. I get it. He was in From Dust Till Dawn, and he was probably one of my favorite characters in that movie as well. But here, it's just... Like, part of me feels that it's so out of place. When I saw him, I'm like, that's Quentin fucking Tarantino. What the fuck is he doing in this movie? And he's here just basically to fucking get hurt all the fucking time. And basically point out when Nikki's fucking around. So, we meet the dog that, again, is voiced by the Triumph the Comic Dog. That, you know, you know the little puppet guy that goes out there and fucking talks about people for to poop on or some shit like that. And 
it's just kind of an interesting situation that he's the one that's going to be leading Nikki everywhere around. And then he does mention to Nikki, you know, he's like, well, your dad gave me a bunch of money, but I blew it, you know, because he gave him money to have a nice rental property for the week. And instead he blew it on fucking hookers and blow. And honestly, if I was a dog in his situation, I'd probably blow it on a fucking hookers and blow at the same time. So I can forgive the dog for doing what he needs to do. You know, dogs got to get their rocks off too. What what am I going to uh, complain about? So he leads them around. They're going to try to find the apartment that they need. But he's also trying to like acclimate himself to the world around him. And of course, that means that um, we need a product placement right here. Put it in your mouth. Now move your teeth. Up and down. Up and down. Good, numbnuts. Now you gotta swallow it. Tilt your head back and let the meat slide down your throat hole. Easy. Don't choke. Popeye's chicken is fucking awesome. Uh-huh. Now eat up. You're gonna need your energy. I got energy up to yin-yang. Let's go save Dad. Adrian! Cassius! Oh, boy. So, yeah, he gets hit by a bus and gets set straight back to hell, where there is a joke about the boob man along with the one little creature that uh, Cassius, like, hit in the head with a rock and was like, hey, you want some of this? Like, <laughs> they're suddenly, like, a couple or something. But it's... This, like, other thing here, this Popeye's chicken bullshit that's going on, it's like there's just product placement every fucking where. And it's not just fucking Popeye's, but Popeye's is the, like, most egregious fucking aggressor in this whole fucking movie because it's constantly fucking talked about what... What? Oh, sorry, I gotta take a quick, quick commercial break real fast. Hey, you! Yeah, you! The one that's been podcasting all day! Why, you need that energy to keep going through you. You can't keep just doing this for hours on the end. So go ahead and grab one of those Ryland podcast treats. You know, the ones made from newspapers and apples. They're fantastic. Make sure that you fill up and make sure you get enough sleep every single day because Ryland's is the only way to podcast. So, like I was saying... It's just all over the fucking place. There's just fucking product placement just randomly. And it's not really like the, like, you see the stuff. You see Popeye's fucking, like, all the fucking time. He always has that fucking chicken in his hands. He's just always fucking gnawing down on it at one point or another. But he also mentions all these other things just, like, randomly in conversation. You know, it's going to be Pepsi or it's Coke or, you know, that's also a part of one of the scenes. But, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Like, he'll just mention something and it's like, oh, you know... All of a sudden, he slips in Popeyes in one way, shape, or another, or some other fucking product that's out there. Like, it's so apparent that it's so distracting from the rest of the film. And then he's so fucking, like, happy that he's had Popeyes for the very first time, it fucking kills him. I mean, I guess he predicted the future, right? So, he goes back to hell, he does the thing with Kevin Nealon and the thing, and he tells him, okay, I won't say anything if you don't say anything, and then we go back up to the surface, and when we go back up to the surface, we see how, like, Adrian and Cassius are actually trying to influence the people, and again, this is one of those scenes that actually, I quite enjoyed. 
In today's gospel, the Lord tells us how we should live if we wish to attain the splendor of heaven, or something like that. Jesus this, Moses that, Abraham hit me with a wiffle ball bat. Yep, the Lord sure did say a lot of hibbity-jibbity-bibbity-swibbity. But has he ever really done anything for any of us? Has he ever put a Jaguar XJR in my driveway? No. I love that car. Has the Lord given any of my enemies the herpes? Herpes? No. The Lord gave my son the strength to get off drugs. Ma'am, I know your son. And believe me, he was better off on the drugs. At least when he was smoking hashish, he used to make me laugh occasionally. (laughs) After we tried for many years, the Lord finally helped my wife conceive a baby. No, no, no. Your best friend Fitzy helped your wife conceive a baby. He helped her conceive it all night long. Hey, hey, hey. How about you, Mayor? Has the Lord ever done anything for you? Well, you know, I... I wished I could think of something, but to be honest with you, I can't. I can't think of a damn thing he's ever done for me. Kind of makes you wonder if there even is a Lord. If there even is an ultimate punishment for our so-called sins. Why don't we all just have fun and do whatever the hell we want? <laughs> Let the sin begin. So it's actually a pretty ingenious plan that they now have going. I'm not saying that it's the best plan in the world, but the way that they're doing it, using religious leaders and other political leaders in New York City to get everybody kind of in on the situation and make sure that everything is perfect with sin and everybody's cool with just fucking sinning everywhere is a relatively good idea. It's kind of shitty because these people are so quick to be like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll totally fucking sin. I'll do all this shit. Especially, I, it's fucking stupid and you can tell it's ADR'd but when the guy's like yay yay like because he knocked up his best friend's wife uh, I still have to chuckle in that scene I don't remember the actor that plays the the pope that's there I I know that's George Wallace who who plays the uh, mayor of New York City and I love that guy as well Uh, but it seems like the the guy that played the Pope, and I'm pretty sure it's a pretty well-known guy, but I feel like it's one of those situations where maybe they asked George Carlin to do this, but he was like, no, I want to be a part of Dogma instead. And so he did that, and he was fucking stellar in that role. I think that this role would have been really well for him too, but I really got like the guy here as well. Like, just the way they does it, the cadence that he uses, the swagger that he has, he really embodies the Adrian like character without actually being to him and he looks like he's having a lot of fun and even the way that george wallace does the scene again it looks like he's having a lot of fun and when he steps out it's funny because you see both of them you see their feet and they're on hollow ground and you can see in the back that the guy it's supposed to be adrian his feet are burning like even though he's stepping on something like you can still see the smoke rising off the ground but when george wallace uh, you know pops out into the aisle nobody like bats a fucking eye that he's wearing fucking foil on his feet Like, it's like, why is he doing that? 
yeah, no, I'm just still going to be okay. Hey, it's cool to sin and everything's okay because the mayor said it. Like, I can kind of agree with the priest, especially if you've been following him for a while. And the fact that that congregation was so quick to be like, yay, yay. Like, it's so fucking ridiculous. And in the beginning, it seems like they're kind of going down the, man, this is fucking ridiculous. Because when he says, you know, did he ever help you cure that herpes? Or give your best friend herpes or whomever the fuck he wants to give herpes? And the one guy's like... <laughs> herpes like what the fuck are you talking about like this isn't right this isn't normal and then everybody's just like all right i do like the one lady gets shit down he's like well <laughs> your son was a lot more fun when he was on drugs than he is now like now he's a fucking poser man he doesn't do anything anymore he just sits in his home and is fucking twiddling his thumbs all the time man he used to be fun he used to be like a great fucking guy and how would adrian know did he like come up to earth every now and then and was like hey we're gonna go hang out and deal with some of the drug dealers or did like the son die and end up in hell and then like he's one of those assholes that even though you know he got himself better he's stuck down there because he did you know fucking weed once in a while yes i know do the weed i get it i'm fucking old fuck you um so he goes like just when he steps into the aisle the fact that there's still foil on his feet, it still drives me nuts that just nobody thinks twice about anything else that's going on there. So we cut over to Nikki, and now he's talking with Beefy, and basically they've got to go out and they got to start trying to find both Adrian and Cassius over here. they got to go everywhere. So basically what we get is we get a long montage of Nicky getting his ass fucking beat by random people. He gets jumped by a random, you know, Asian guy that, like, beats him up with whatever he's doing. He gets knocked over by old people. He gets thrown back into hell because he dies again. And eventually he gets over to a park where he's been, you know moving around a lot and he's just really tired and because while he's on earth he's kind of mortal like he's not you know he's immortal still because he's still you know the devil's son but at the same time he has now all the properties that a human has which is really weird so while he's up there he has to eat he has to sleep and he has to, you know, kind of like recharge himself. And of course, what's better than Popeye's fucking chicken, which is what he eats, you know, on a constant basis. And so he's there in the park, like they're talking basically. He's like, dude, you know what? You gotta like take a rest. And at this point too, I should say, he did manage to find himself a place to live uh, with one of these, this like actor guy who, you know, when you first meet him, you're kind of thinking that he's talking directly to Nikki, but then you find out that he's talking directly into a mirror instead. And he's basically rehearsing some sort of scene. And then he tells him that, you know, Beefy can't stay in the apartment with him, which Beefy is just like, it's okay, just go ahead and stay by yourself. And then you see him, like, he sleeps for the very first time, and he sleeps on top of a radiator, which I guess is supposed to be kind of funny because, you know, he's from hell, he's used to sleeping in a very hot space, and here he is sleeping on top of that. But what is kind of funny is the fact that when he snores, he sounds like a fucking demon. And Beefy has been watching over him and knows that he's got still just the right amount of evil inside of him, even though he doesn't really fucking show it on the outside. So, after his long day of trying to search for his brothers and getting the shit beat out of him, he tries to eat some chicken to make himself feel better and get some more energy, but because he has human limitations, 
Beefy tells him, okay, you know what? You just need to roll over and fall asleep, to which he does. And he begins to have his, like, demon fucking snoring sounds, which causes a lot of people to kind of look in on him, as well as the two metal dudes that end up fucking following, and uh, one famous thief. There's our man. Oh, Mr. Sleepy, I must have some major ties to the dark side. What's with that guy? It's got to be one of his disciples or something. My man's at them deep nocturnal shit. Woo! Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yo, man, I think that devil guy just got ripped off. Should we wake him up? Yeah, you do it. Rise and shine, I devil guy. What? Some dude just stole your shit. Which way did he go? Uh, that way. Give me back my flag! Did you check out the dragon mouth? Dark Prince is here. Okay, so these metal guys, of course, are like the stereotypical metal guys that you have in a lot of these type of movies. I mean, it's no deathgasm, but still... They're just like, you know, they worship Ozzy and all those other metal guys. And they're here. They automatically are able to figure out that, hey, he must be the Prince of Darkness because he makes all of these fucking, you know, growling demon type of sounds. And these guys are kind of like, I don't know. They're not funny. They're not not funny. They're just kind of like there. The whole, it's just a big stereotype of the metal guy. And if you find that funny, great. If you don't, uh, you don't. That's just kind of the way the rest of the movie goes as well. So, you know, but it's just, I think it's kind of funny that they're automatically, like, the moment that they hear it, they're just like, yeah, that dude's a demon. And then nobody really bats an eye. And he doesn't really bat an eye when they tell him that, hey, you know, (laughs) the devil guy, you know, the guy that stole your shit, he ran that way. So... Nikki follows after the guy that stole his stuff, and if you didn't recognize the voice right away, you should recognize the voice because that's John Witherspoon. And, you know, may he rest in peace. Uh, I didn't remember that he was even in this movie. I was surprised when I saw him. Surprised by two guys, Quentin Tarantino and then Witherspoon. And honestly, he is probably my favorite part of the movie, and it sucks that he's only in this little scene. And this is where we actually get to meet the love interest of Nikki as well. Check out my stuff. I got a comb only used twice. Uh, I got a pepper shaker. I got a silver doodad from Africa. Hey. See something you like, my man? Yes, I would like my flashback. You calling me a thief, my man? Calling you the guy who has my flash. How would I have it unless I was, in fact, a thief? I don't know. Now you've gone and done it. You're the mess of my business, bitch. I would appreciate if you kept your voice down. Oh, you going all crazy out on me. I'll show you some crazy eyes. Look at this. Come on, let's get busy. Excuse me, sir. Who? Does um that flask belong to this man? Now you gonna call me a thief too? Damn. Okay, look. Today, the guy you ripped off just happened to walk by and bust you. So why don't you just give him his flask back? What are you gonna do if I don't? Bite me with your knuckle too? No. But maybe that policeman over there might have something to say. Oh, take your dumbass canteen, Goofy. And you, get your ragged ass clothes and find yourself another corner before I show you what crazy really is. Fine, I will. I'm a businessman. I'll be seeing you in a few years. 
I mean, I absolutely adore that guy. And, you know, the Friday movies are where I originally recognized him from. But he's been in the business for a really long time. He used to be a part of Sanford and Son way back in the day. And I did not recognize him at all, you know, from that. And I grew up with him specifically in Friday. And to see him in this again, especially after his recent passing, it was kind of cool and kind of heartfelt at the same time. It was like, oh, we left somebody. And I heard him talk recently uh, not so recently, but within the last year, he was on another podcast that I listened to and to hear him talk about his life and the way that he did it. And he just was like always glad that he even was able to be a part of anything that was going on out there. Not that like he wasn't making a whole lot of from these movies. He's just working. That's what he did. And he was basically saying he's probably going to be working till the day he dies. And unfortunately that's exactly what he did you know but he enjoyed his life at the same time so it's kind of cool to hear and to see this guy once again so that but that scene the whole thing like when you meet valerie who's played by patricia arquette you can tell that she's having a little bit of difficulty with the prosthetic that she's using in her mouth because she's meant to be given some little like snaggle tooth but it's not even that it's just like one of her teeth is like pressing forward and if that actually is like her grill um i'm sorry that i thought that it was a prosthetic but it, it looks like she's having problems like keeping it in her mouth in the way that she talks it looks like it's like way too big for her mouth too and i guess that's meant to make her look a little frumpy because she's not you know like a terribly you know frumpy looking girl in fact i think she's quite beautiful so it's weird to see her in this type of situation where you have her, like, dressed down. And the one thing I will commend this film for doing, and it's rare that I'm going to commend this film in many ways, is that they don't transform her in any way to be something super beautiful. And not saying that she isn't cute the way that she looks, and she, you know, in the eyes of a lot of people, it's not like, you know, she's Christina Applegate or something in this film, in, in terms of, like, you know, beauty or whatever it is. But it's, like, you don't have that ugly librarian turned to like hot chick you know at some point oh you realize that she's really beautiful no she just kind of stays plain throughout the rest of the movie and it's awesome honestly quite awesome when you think about it in the long run especially with a lot of you know these hollywood type films back in those days where everything was kind of like oh we're just gonna turn you know frumpy frumpy face over into something beautiful so i do commend the film for that uh, so they do kind of start this, uh, like love relationship. This is also something that I'm, and like I said, I feel like she's just fucking phoning it in because she doesn't really do a whole lot. Like she's there. Maybe that's just the character that they wanted to do. They wanted her to be, you know, more low key, more unsure of herself. Great. But at the same time, like she could have put a little bit of life into it, like, this is, um, it's the way that I have to kind of compare this to is, and I can't believe I'm bringing Kevin Smith up two times in this podcast, is uh, Boo Boo Kitty Fuck from Jane Silent Bob Strike Back and the Jane Silent Bob reboot. Um, she's like that character, you know, she's bubbly and kind of idiotic and everything, but she still has like life to her. Like, there are things in that film where, even though it's kind of like, okay, I'm going with the flow and the character doesn't have a whole lot of depth to her, I still enjoy watching the character and I feel like the actress was still really into it. She was really happy and, and bubbly when she needed to be and then kind of like clueless when she needed to be. Where, as Valerie, she's just kind of there. 
Like, that's it. This is what you get. Everything. And I don't understand why. Maybe it's to match the intensity that Adam Sandler is bringing to Nikki. Or not to overshadow whatever intensity he's bringing. Which is close to none. Uh, It's just very odd. And so when you see them first talk for the very first time. It's just kind of a boring scene. Excuse me. That was amazing. I uh, just wanted to thank you. That's okay. I get messed with all the time. When I saw him do that to you, I just lost it. I hate when people take advantage of tourists. What makes you think I'm a tourist? Oh, your accent, maybe. Well, where are you from? The South. Really? The Deep South. I don't know, but I was enjoying it. Your glasses are pretty. They make your eyes look big and sparkly. It's fun looking at them. Oh, my dad's an optometrist. My dad's in hell and he's falling apart. Oh, I'm sorry. It's really tough when your folks get older. I don't know what I would do if I couldn't save them. Well, I'm sure a nice southern boy like you will figure something out. Popeyes? <laughs> no, I, I had my lunch already. Okay. But I wouldn't mind getting a gelati. Could I come with you to getting a gelati? If you want to. <laughs> so what the fuck is this bullshit that's going on here? Why the hell does Nikki need a fucking love interest? And like I said, she doesn't seem really that fucking interested. Like, she's being a little coy. I get it, okay? There's a little bit of that, like, oh, well, she's okay, happy that she's, like, totally, you know, found him and helped him out and all this stuff. And now they're developing something because he has these fucking things that are, he doesn't understand. He's got human emotions while he's on the fucking planet and whatever bullshit like that. And then, of course, there has to be the fucking product placement in insert right there into the fucking dialogue where he's like oh well you know you want to eat some Popeyes because I've got some like stuff here and she's like oh why don't we go get some what oh fuck I gotta do that okay we'll be right back you love what you do right well sometimes when you talk about what you love your energy runs really low that's why you need to reach for Ryland podcasting treat With natural apples and the essential inks and newspaper that you need to get your day going. Make sure when you're running out of that podcasting energy, you reach for a Ryland podcasting treat. Getting awfully sick of these fucking promos running everywhere. Okay, well, we're back. So this whole thing that happens in between them can just be fucking wiped out of the whole fucking movie. To be honest, I just don't understand why you need to insert this in every fucking, like, comedy film. It doesn't need to have any type of romantic interest. Nothing needs to go on here. She can just be completely removed and everything would just move on like normal. So while they go off and have their, whatever the fuck it is, their gelato, gelati, whatever the fuck you want to call it, and... There's a little scene in between them where he's like, oh man, this is really cold because I guess he's not used to the fucking cold 
It's really weird. Like, he's completely bundled up. I haven't even talked about what he's wearing while he's on fucking Earth. See, while he's down there, he's just kind of in his black clothes. And that's how he comes up originally. But then while he's up there, he's completely, like, bundled in all different types of things. He's got mittens on his hands. He's got a big fucking jacket. He's got a beanie over the top of his head. It's like he's just fucking freezing while he's walking around on Earth. Because he's used to everything being so goddamn hot down there in hell. I guess it's a joke. I don't really fucking know. But so we see them going and they get their gelati and then we go back down to hell and we see that, you know, the devil, he's still deteriorating even more. And they <laughs> they show him with like his legs, like he's got a stump, he's lost his feet and he's just got like these random stumps that are kind of flailing a lot around. And this is where, and it's been that case where in, in this type of film, the CGI that they used just does not fucking hold up. Like, I think even back then it was kind of shitty, and here it's even worse. Like, nowadays, it just looks really bad. And you look at the, like, legs flailing around on the devil, and you're just like, ugh. And there's a bunch of other little scenes that happen where you're just kind of like, I just don't know why it looks, like, that bad. Like, it looks like stuff that could have happened in the 80s where they were just using, you know, computers sparingly uh, to do little effects here and there. Whereas they decided to use a lot of those 80s effects, like, <laughs> to their full atten- uh, potential in 2000 when this film was released. So... We also see that Rodney Dangerfield, like, he's starting to interact with the gatekeeper that has the boobs on the head. And Rodney Dangerfield in this sounds really old. And this has to be one of the last things that he did. Um, And it's great, again, it's another guy that's great to see on the fucking screen. But at the same time, it's kind of like, oh, man, I, I don't know why he chose to do this. Maybe just wanted to do it for fun. But he's just also kind of phoning it in or maybe shouldn't have done it like i feel so bad and like saying that and being like oh you shouldn't do these things but like leslie nielsen was doing stuff again all the way up into his death and he looked great sounded great ronnie dangerfield eh, not so much uh but he does have a couple of corny lines in the film some of which are kind of funny and some of them that are just kind of like Ugh, why why would you do this rodney why would you do this to yourself uh, so from there we go back up and we see that Valerie, you know, she's hanging out with Nikki and they're kind of getting to know each other. And then we hear that they've basically the Cassius as the mayor of New York city has decided now that the drinking age has been brought down to 10. So that way anybody that under the age of 10 or above the age of 10 can now go get themselves shit faced in any fucking bar. And we see that Adrian's hanging out on the street. And then he also runs across little Nikki for the very first time with Valerie and basically acts like a jerk. In another startling announcement from City Hall, Mayor Randolph has effective immediately lowered the legal drinking age from 21 to 10. When an adult goes to hell, that's terrific. But when a child goes... That's why I'm in this business. <laughs> Little Nicky. You know what's nice about you? Why? I like the way you're happy just being yourself. You don't try to act cool. Thanks much, Valerie. You know what's nice about you? Your juicy, heart-shaped, tiny. What was that? <laughs> 
I, I don't know why I said that. I, I meant to say that. I've always dreamt about having sex with a gross pig. Can I wash my winky in your kitchen sinky? You're a real jerk. I didn't mean to be. What the? Adrian. <laughs> Dad needs you to come back to hell. So he sent old Shovelface to fetch me. I'm not kidding. He's in trouble. So are you. Hey, Valerie! What is your problem? I'm sorry. Adrian, you guys froze the fire gate, and now Dad is dying. So get your booty back home or else. You can't talk tough, Nikki. Even the voice inside your head has a speech impediment. Adrian, you're gonna go back because I'm gonna make you go back. How about this? I'll stay here, enjoying my pizza and my peppermint schnapps, and you go back. Adrian, don't! Cut the crap! This is serious! Now, the thing that Nikki does to Valerie that you can't see because, of course, this is a podcast, is he flips her off, basically. Adrian makes him flip her off. And the way that he does it is actually, it's awkward and kind of funny at the same time because he's, like, slowly bending up his arm and then putting his finger in the middle finger and then flipping him off. Now, I'm even doing it while you guys can't fucking watch over here on the podcast, but it's it's kind of funny. I'm I'm not exactly sure why it was done in this way. And then when he makes him kill himself at the end of the scene, like he speeds him up and it's just like this awkward walking that he's doing. I, I just don't get it. I'm just kind of like, Oh God, can this scene just fucking end? I do like the guy that plays Adrian. I think that he's the better of the two brothers, honestly. And he has some type of like, smarminess to him that I kind of enjoy like you see him at the beginning when he's looking at the kids and then that's kind of like a gross out scene because the kid is just fucking vomiting just geyser of fucking puke after he's been fucking drinking for so long and you know little kids they just can't hold their fucking liquor because they're 10 uh and he's just getting so much fucking joy out of seeing that and it really comes off on the character in this scene and he's just like sitting on top of a fire hydrant eating pizza and drinking his peppermint schnapps uh or schnapps or whatever the fuck however he says it and it's just like okay you're ruining your brother's chances and because you're such a bully to your fucking brother i get it that's why you're doing these things and you're just having too much fun being on earth and fucking around with everybody up here great i wonderful but just the way that the scene plays out it's just not as entertaining as it could possibly be that i guess is my only problem with it like i wish it was just a little bit funnier than it actually ended up being like it's kind of funny like the whole like you know can i wash my winky and your sinky like that's kind of funny like it makes me chuckle at the same time because the character would never be like can i stick my dick in your ass or something like that he's not gonna do that and he like even says that you know a even in your mind you still have the lisp and you can never like say the right things you can't be mean and tough you're still the fucking little you know wimpy boy that you are in fucking hell so those things like are kind of funny but they're not 
just they don't hit me the way that they should. And I'm pretty sure that there are people that are fucking busting their ass while they're listening to it. And even then, I'm just kind of like, uh, like the more the motions make me laugh than the actual dialogue in this scene. So Nikki goes back down to hell and he runs into his father again, who's now lost his legs and then loses his last ear. So he can no longer hear him and no longer give him any advice on how he can catch Adrian Cassius. And Jimmy tells him, look, you don't have much time. You know, you only have a little bit left. Soon your father's not going to be anymore. And then your brothers are going to basically be able to take over. So you need to go and get them. So he goes back up to Earth and he goes and sees Beefy once again. And they're sitting inside the kitchen of the, the place that he's renting out or inside the living room. And basically, this is where Beefy kind of explains to him that he needs to become more evil because... You know, they're upsetting the balance of good and evil, and they need to be brought to justice and brought back down to hell. And this is where you get the part of the trailer where you see him using his evil powers for the very first time to turn something into something else. Others are upsetting the balance between good and evil. Well, what can I do about it? You can't do jack shit unless you learn your evil powers. Go get a soda out of the fridge. But those are my roommate sodas. But those are my roommate's sodas. Does that sound like a statement the son of the devil would make? All right, take it easy. Nikki, you have the power to change the cola in that can into any other liquid. Engine oil, bat's blood, moose piss. You just have to release the evil within. Release the evil? I'm just saying there's wickedness in you. I can tell from your snores. Really? Release your evil. Release the evil. Come on, you can do it. There it is. You got it in you. What are you doing? Hey! No! All right. I'm going to pretend I didn't see a dog on the couch because my brain just can't process that right now. But were you about to drink one of my Cokes? No, I was just looking at it. It's beautiful. This Coke tastes like Pepsi. You changed a Coke into a Pepsi. That was your big transformation? Come on, man, give it up a little. I mean, that was pretty good for my first try. Do you even care that your brothers are killing your father? Yes, I care. And he is not going to die. boy. I'm freaked out. My television just blew up. You're damn right it did. I mean, really? See, like, the little things there at the end, I think that's, again, extremely funny. Where he's like, you're damn right it did. Oh, wait, I mean, oh, really? Like, that stuff makes me laugh so much. But And even the changing of Coke into Pepsi, that is pretty damn funny to me, too. Like, of course, this is the type of thing that he would do, right? Like, he's not really that evil. And the only evil thing they could truly think of is basically changing one brand to the other because it might upset the roommate. But he doesn't want to upset him too much because, you know, that's his stuff. And 
Beefy really just wants him to unleash that dark side of him because he knows that it's fucking in there. But here we are. We only have him, you know, basically doing little fucking small parlor tricks with his fucking powers. He really has nothing else that he can really do out of, you know, all the evil shit that he can. And so what does he do when he finally truly gets upset about something is he blows up the fucking TV. That's what he finally does. And he finally fucks with his roommate, which makes beefy happy. But honestly, it's still, you know, it's a little messed up because his roommate is not that bad of a guy, even though he's a little eccentric with the whole thing. And then, then there turns into like a running gay joke or something later on in the film. But it's just, it's still not, as bad as it could possibly be. Like, he's slowly coming into his powers, and we get to see a little bit more of it as the movie loop moves along. So, his roommate comes over because he's freaking out, not just about the TV exploding, but the fact that he's watching, and I don't know, when did this happen? I mean, the only time that I've ever seen anybody watch a Harlem Globetrotter game on television was Krusty the fucking clown, okay? And he bet against the Globetrotters, which was the dumbest move he could possibly fucking do because the Globetrotters don't win shit or don't lose shit except for when Cassius is the one that's playing the ref on the fucking court and fucking with the Globetrotters game. And even the roommate, he says that to him too. He's like, I've watched the Globetrotters for years. How did you watch the Globetrotters on TV for years? Is this something that happens in fucking New York that I don't fucking know about whenever the Harlem Globetrotters play? I mean, I've gone and seen them in person, but I don't ever remember them being on fucking TV around here. And maybe it's just an East Coast thing and it's not a West Coast thing. That's the only thing I could fucking think about. But here they are on TV. They're watching the Globetrotters fucking kick the shit out of somebody else. At least that's what they thought was going to go on. But instead, it's fucking Dana Carvey on the fucking floor being possessed by Cassius. And basically calling fouls, taking points off the clock or, or off, the, off their score and everything. And, and even one of the Globetrotter players, he's like, in all the years I've played, this has never fucking happened to me. And he's like, nope, you're traveling. And like, he's a fucking Globetrotters. Globetrotters don't fucking travel. They can do whatever hoop-de-hoop, whoop-de-hoop that they want. And they're going to just fucking score. And that's the whole point of the goddamn Globetrotters. And so, and then there's also two people in the audience that there's a mom and a, a dad and they're talking to their son and the son's like, this isn't right. And he's like, nope, nope. This is the way all Globetrotters game. No, it's fucking not. The Globetrotters never fucking lose. You know, they never get behind. They never do anything. They never just randomly end the fucking half and then go into the next one. So a dude, he's basically, you know, well, before that happens, they're watching on TV and then they convince Nikki that he needs to go down there because that's definitely his brother that's doing things. And so he runs down to wherever the Globetrotters play. They're probably playing at Madison Square Garden because that's where they would play in this type of movie but i don't fucking know i mean that could be the only place that they play that would have them on television at the same time so and and how far that fucking is i don't even fucking know because he gets there before the half even fucking begins because there's a guy that's there and he's supposed to try to shoot the half court shot and if he makes the half court shot everybody in the place gets pizza and He's like, nope, don't want to fucking do it because the crowd is already fucking irate because the Globetrotters are actually losing this fucking game and things are going wrong for them. Except for those two parents 
you know, they're the only ones like, yep, this is just the way the Globetrotter games go. <laughs> they keep cutting back to them. And they keep thinking it's funny each time they fucking do it. And it's funny the first fucking time. And it's funny the last fucking time. But not the five fucking times that they do it in between the fucking thing. It makes no goddamn sense why you gotta keep going back to that same fucking joke again and a fucking again. I just don't fucking get it. So, of course, Nikki shows up and he's like, I'm the one that's gonna make the shot. And so he goes to half court and as he throws the ball, well, first he explodes the first ball and then poor Bill Walton's hair catches on fire. You know, you don't fuck with Bill Walton, man. He's one of the greatest fucking basketball players that's ever fucking lived. And here you're causing his hair to catch on fire while he's just trying to... Why the fuck is Bill Walton calling a fucking Harlem Globetrotters game? Now somebody needs to tell me that fucking bullshit. He would never fucking do that. He's on fucking ESPN. I think at this time, he's probably one of the regular fucking announcers that they have. I think he's a color commentary guy for ESPN's fucking basketball games. But here he is. He just happens to be at a Harlem fucking Globetrotters game. And he's going to be the one that's calling the fucking game. For who? Again, who is fucking watching this bullshit on fucking TV? Who? Who has decided that they're going to sit down and you know what? I always watch the Globetrotters. Of course, you, you know, they're the most winning fucking basketball team. They kicked them out of the fucking NBA because they would win all the fucking time because of all that whoop-de-whoop that they fucking did for every fucking game. But, oh, I digress. So, Nicky goes in there and he first tries to will the basketball to go into the hoop and he explodes the ball and that's why poor Bill Wong's hair catches on fire. The announcer's like, oh, I don't know exactly what's going on here or why it even did that. Let's try it again with a different ball. So he gives him a new ball and then he throws the ball up and basically uses his evil powers to sink the basket for everybody in the place. But of course, Cassius comes out and Cassius blocks the shot. And everybody boos and everybody's like, what the fuck's going on? And he's like, man, you're going to have to try this shit again. And so Nikki's like, okay, fuck you. I can do this bullshit. And he fucking breaks Cassius's fucking ankle because he's using Dana Carvey's body being an old referee at this point and then manages to slam dunk, break the net, and score everybody because he jumps from half fucking court. Even though it's supposed to be a half court fucking shot, right? It's not supposed to be like, hey, you're going to just dunk the ball from fucking half court and that's the way this fucking works. No, you take the fucking shot. So what he should have done was broke his fucking ankles, then got back, took the shot, and then it went in and everybody would be happy they got pizza. But they're probably just amazed the fact that he was able to jump from the half court line and then slam dunk the fucking ball directly into the net and beat the referee down. And so... You know, he convinces Cassius that, hey, you know, well, Cassius is like, why the hell were you able to do that? Those are pretty sick moves, bro. And so he, Nikki tricks him and says, well, it's because of the devil juice that I got inside this flask. Gets Cassius to drink the, the stuff from the flask and then gets sucked in there out of the body of Dana Carvey. And so one brother down, one brother left to go. And the also the metal guys happen to be in the audience at this time. Like, they're always around Nikki at random points, too. They see him in the park. When he dies because of the whole thing that happens with Valerie, they get splashed with Nikki's blood and it actually causes a 666 to show up on a, the one dude's shirt, the guy with a sweet goatee and kind of mullet. And um, then in this case, they happen to be in the audience for the Globetrotter games. I guess they're the type of people that, well, at least they went and weren't fucking watching it on TV like the fucking roommate was. But they notice that, hey, yeah, it's Devil Bro. He's back. 
And so after, you know, he wins that for everybody and the Globetrotters, I guess, go on and win and win whoever is bet on them some, like, paltry sum of money. It's probably like, you know, a 1 to 25 bet or something like that. You know, you win and you're giving them 25 cents or something. Um, but, you know, they go back over to the apartment and that's where Nikki explains exactly who he is to the roommate and to the dudes that are now his disciples. So your father's the devil. Gee, senor. You're a talking dog from hell. Yep. And you guys are who? Just a couple of big fans of Nicky and the work his dad does. Hey, by the way, Nicky, check this out. What's Ozzy trying to say there? John, absolutely nothing. The blizzard always came straight with his messages. But wrap your minds around this, gentlemen. Oh, no. <laughs> Chicago. I love this song. I command you in the name of Lucifer to spread the blood of the innocent. Oh, my God. Chicago kicks ass. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> you know, guy, this cake tastes a little funny. <laughs> oh, I dumped a fat sack of reefer in the mix. Thought I'd spice up the bash. Really? What's reefer? About 500 bucks an ounce. <laughs> so, the Chicago joke is pretty funny, but they blow that load in the fucking trailer. So, it doesn't hit as hard when you see it here, because you're like, oh yeah, here it is, here's where it's coming. And then we hear the whole thing of them doing the backwards playing in Chicago, telling people to go kill people. So they end up having a bunch of pot talk at this point where we have the jokes that, you know, the roommate's actually gay because he wants to be an actor. And it's just kind of an odd scene. And I had debated whether or not I want to put the full thing in here or not. But a lot of it comes down to the fact that, you know, Nikki, he talks about Valerie and they say, well, we think that you're in love and, you know, eventually that you need to go out and get her. So when everybody fucking falls asleep from, you know, too much pot and the, the metal bros leave, Nikki decides that he's going to go over and see Valerie and try to make up for the fact that, you know, he was being a jerk because his brother was forcing him to be a jerk and kind of tell her the truth of what's going on. And this is where we get to meet Nipples for the very first time. And Nipples happens to be in the next little scene that I'm going to play in a second. But he shows up here first when he climbs the fucking fire escape. And this is also where the fucking music fucking pisses me off the most. Because they start playing Foo Fighters Everlong, right? And to be like, why he's going out there and because, you know, he loves her and he's been searching for her for a long time. Or whatever type of bullshit they're trying to say with the fucking song. But again, it's only like 20 seconds of the fucking song. And it's just that part of the song, you know, where, hey, I've been waiting for you ever long. You know, that little bit of the song. I'm not doing it fucking justice because I'm not really trying to sing the whole thing. Uh, but that's like all they fucking play and it just pisses me the fuck off at the, the point. I even put a giant fucking star in my fucking notes right over here because I want to make sure I hit that point at this point but i hit that point earlier so <laughs> he goes up and he gets to the one window and that's where he sees a guy that's like rubbing his nipples and he's in lingerie and i'm like oh fuck that's clint howard isn't it and then yeah of course it's clint fucking howard because you need somebody to be weird and kind of odd and odd looking you get fucking clint howard to do that little scene so he manages to get all the way up to the right 
uh, window. And then that's where he sees Valerie. And then we see that he's got a much kinder side to him. And that love is actually giving him some other type of power. What were you thinking coming here? I don't know, but it didn't involve going blind. I think I'm floating. Why would you be floating? Maybe it was because of this cake I ate earlier. Am I supposed to not be freaked out right now because I am? I'm freaked out too. The butterflies in my stomach are flapping around in a way I've never felt before. You got the wrong window again, man. Oh, sorry, Nipples. Valerie! Nikki, over here! I'm coming! Oh my God, you made it! Valerie, I can see you again, and you look beautiful. Look, just because you're floating doesn't mean I'm going to forget about you giving me the finger. That wasn't me. I was being possessed by my brother Adrian. What do you mean, possessed? Remember when I told you that my father was in hell? Yes. Well, that's because he's the devil, and he wants to keep his throne for another 10,000 years. And that pissed off my brothers. So they broke the gates of hell, which is making my father... The devil? ...decompose. And I love my father very much, so I came to Earth to save him. Now I get that deep south joke. Yes! I don't know if I should believe you. You gotta believe. Believe in the butterfly. Okay, 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 I believe. Come on, come back up. Man, this is just, this is just so terrible. Like, I want to really, like, believe in this whole thing. And, you know, it's funny again when he goes up to the window and he goes to the wrong one. And we see Clint Howard again. He goes, oh, thanks, nipples. And... (laughs) But I just, I cannot get behind this whole thing with Patricia Arquette and fucking, you know, Adam Sandler, this whole Valerie Nikki bullshit that's going on. And that's actually helping him see that he's got a, a better side to him and that the quote unquote butterflies give him a lot more like power or something else at least give them the power to fly and again they start doing the whole thing with the music we got in the beginning or towards the end of that we get a little bit of incubus that's there and it's like i think they're playing drive or some bullshit like that and i just ugh, i just want to just fucking get it out of the fucking movie just don't even fucking worry about it like it just i don't know why they're doing this whole thing Yeah, is it funny when she sprays him with the mace like the very first time that he shows up to the window? It is funny that she's like, why would you come back after all this thing? And then when he comes back up after being saved, she punches him in the face again. Like, I get it, but I just feel like so deep down that it's not even fucking needed for the rest of the film. So from here, we see that, you know, the Deacon sees him flying in the air. Uh, and so Tarantino once again runs into something else. There was another scene earlier where he ran into a pole again. It just seems like he keeps getting himself more and more hurt as the movie moves on as well. Uh, we see them, they're watching TV, and then, oh shit, it's fucking Michael McKean. 
one third of Spinal Tap. I guess one fourth, I guess you should say. And now he's the chief of police and he's being, uh, you know, possessed by Adrian. And basically he's saying to everybody in the city that there's a $50 million reward out there for Nikki because he's killed somebody. And <laughs> he's, we go out to Nikki and it's just because I'm thinking of the scene because it's so fucking stupid. But it makes me laugh at the same fucking time. But we see him and he's out there and he's like, he's in love. You know, he's got Valerie now. Like, I guess they've now officially become a couple. You know, there was the whole, she understands finally what the joke about the Deep South is. Which again is supposed to make us laugh, I guess, because Nikki's laughing at it or where the fuck it is. And he's like looking through stuff and he's like, oh, he's got all the butterflies in him and everything. And he's sniffing flowers. And then the flower shop owner recognizes that, hey, that's him. And he speaks to him and I think it's Cantonese. I can never tell the difference between Cantonese and Mandarin. Uh, but he speaks to him. Nikki says back, like, good morning in the same candor. And then he's telling his wife, no, that's the guy. We should go out and get him. And so Nikki leaves. And then another group of people follow him. And then there's another group of people. And eventually we get to the point that, like, there are a bunch of people playing murder ball on a court. And then they all get their wheelchairs and start going after him. And then they all fucking, I guess, I'm assuming that they fucking die. Because they're going down the hill hella fast after Nikki. And then they can't turn in time. So they slam right into a bus. And that, I assume, has probably killed most of the people on the wheelchairs. So eventually they do block him into an alleyway. And Nikki uses his power of evil to turn himself into a bunch of little Nikki spiders. Which are really creepy, by the way. And then they go down and they basically, he manages to get away and he ends up back at the, the, you know, place he's staying at. He comes in, he turns himself back into himself from all the spiders in an effect that, like, I like the effect of the little Nikki spiders. They aren't so bad, but when he forms back into little Nikki, it just looks terrible. And so he tells Beefy that he's in trouble and he needs to figure out a way or what to do with Adrian. Beefy, I think I'm in trouble. This shit has hit the fan, kid. Take a look. This videotape will show what he did after he left the game. Say hello to my little friend. My name is Nicky, and I'm gonna kill all you suckers for no reason. That's not me, that's that cockroach Tony Montana. It's difficult to watch, I know. This is Adrian's work! He superimposed your head onto Scarface. Which is probably De Palma's third best film. <laughs> oh. oh, I'm not Nikki! Dude, it's us! Let us in! John, Pete! Nikki! Looks like a total mob scene coming this way. It looks like they're following a giant trail of bug shit. What are we doing now, Beefy? I don't know. This is a little out of my league. What would your dad do, Nikki? That's a great idea. I'll ask him. Kill me. Are you serious? Yes. We'll meet at Grand Central Station. No. Now I command you. Do me. Okay, so this is so fucking stupid, but it makes me laugh. And I totally missed something there, too, in the... (laughs) The first time, and even the second time that I heard it, now that I was paying attention to it for whatever reason, um, that was actually really funny. So, the that part is the fact that they say, they're, 
It's terrible. Uh, they're following a trail of bug shit. It looks like bug shit. So basically, Nikki was shitting his pants the entire way that he was coming back to the apartment. Like, those things, like, to me, yes, that's gross, but that is really funny because it's such an offhanded fucking comment that I didn't fucking expect it. And then hearing it this time, it's pretty goddamn funny when you, you get it like that in those little doses. Uh, but the... <laughs> This is where actually the CG holds up relatively well with the whole superimposing Nikki's face over Tony Montana. It's so fucking stupid, though. Like, how do you not know? How do you not fucking know that this is fucking Scarface? How? How stupid do you have to be? Have they dumbed down the people in fucking New York City so much that they look at it? He's like, this is what happened after the game. And it's not even a fucking basketball arena. It's obviously a fucking movie. But you people are so fucking stupid that you can't fucking figure out that this is not fucking real. What the hell is wrong with you people? Like, I just don't get it. Would you seriously see that and be like, oh shit, that's really fucking Nikki. Oh my god, that's that guy. He went in there, said hello to his little friend, and then he started fucking blowing people away. No, no you wouldn't. Anybody with a right fucking mind would not be able to take that fucking seriously. But you know what? I guess if somebody really wanted to offer you $50 million, I probably would take it too. So, what does he decide to do? He's like, okay, well, you know what? I need to go ask my dad and fucking go back down to hell. So, he asks them all to kill him. And they slam his head into the table. Which is like, ah, uh, that didn't quite work. It hurt. But it didn't do it. And so, the roommate's like, he's like, I've always wanted to kill somebody. And then he starts, like, drowning him into the, the bathtub. And then there's a uh, not well-held-up Kevin Spacey joke that happens where he's like, you're always taking my parts, Kevin Spacey. Like, maybe at the time it would be funny. It's, It sucks. I don't want to be that type of person, but it's kind of like... I'm not saying that you need to be like, oh, it's Trigger, blah, 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 blah. It's just that there are certain jokes at the time that were really funny, and then things have happened. And when you look at back at that joke, maybe it's still kind of funny, but it's just not funny in the same way that it was fucking funny. So it's just like really weird and awkward at the same time so he does manage to kill nikki nikki goes back and he sees that his father is deteriorated even more and that's where you know he actually loses his last ear to where he can't answer him back but jimmy says that he needs to go back up and actually get his brothers because he only has until midnight hey you lose wrong flush off at the brazier <laughs> Well, the last time I saw a pair of jugs that big, two hillbillies were blowing on them. <laughs> oh, my God, Dad. Nikki, I got no legs. I got no hips. I got one ear. I got no ears. Now he has no ears. Are you happy, Nikki? Adrian's got the whole city following me. I can't hear you, Nikki! I can't hear anything! One, two. Put it back in my head! Hey, with a look to him, you got to midnight tonight. Now you get your ass back up there and you save your father. No! I'm gonna save you, Dad. Go, 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 go! Gonna save you! Move it! So I left the Rodney Dangerfield joke in there because I felt like that joke, one, I think it's pretty funny, too. I felt like that was something they just let him fucking ad-lib. And I feel like there's something else that happens a little later that they allow him to as well. So we cut back onto Earth and we see that his friends... 
Peter and Jeff or his disciples or whatever you want to call them, they're going into the, you know, the police station and they're going to go meet up with Adrian, who's now the head of the police. Uh, that's, you know, played by one fourth of Spinal Tap. So he goes in there. They tell him, yeah, we know where Nikki's going to be because Nikki tells him that you need to meet me over in Central Station at about, you know, noon. And so they grab him and they take him down there and basically completely clear the place out. They see that the roommate and the dog are there. He tells them to take them both away. And then it's just them down there with the two metal heads. And so he comes out of the body of the police captain and basically is hanging out. We see that there's a, like a disheveled lady is walking through the station. She knocks into them and they're like, get the hell out of here. But she drops a brown bag. And so the two of them, they pretend that, Inside of the brown bag is actually that peppermint schnapps that Adrian loves so much. But there's something odd that's going down there that throws Adrian like on the scent of what Nikki's trying to do. And ultimately, Nikki's plan fails. It's awfully hot down here. How do you manage to stay so cool? Oh, uh, beer lowers... The body temperature. I read that in a, uh, a beer magazine. <laughs> <laughs> this liquid will probably quench my thirst. Cool me off. Definitely. And give you a pretty good buzz. Or maybe it will trap me inside for all of eternity. Um, no, it won't. Oh, Nikki. I've missed you. Come out and say hello. I'm not Nikki. I'm calling you out, brother. And so Nikki does come out. We go back over to the police station. We see that Beefy and the roommate, they do have a plan where Beefy has smoke. (laughs) It's like a smoke bomb in his balls. And so he pees. Again, when he pees, it's CGI fucking pee. Which is ridiculous. Because I think that you could get the dog to fucking pee on command. But you want to emphasize that there's pee there. This happened earlier in the film as well. And you have it happen here, and it just looks fucking awful. But anyway, he pees out smoke. The roommate and Beefy get away, and we go back down into the subway, and we see them have their final confrontation. At least, that's where we're thinking actually happens. Adrian grabs Valerie, because Valerie happens to be the old lady. She was just playing the little role, and instead of just getting the fuck out of there, she decides to say and watch the whole thing happen. And so, Adrian uses that against Nikki, goes to fucking, you know kill her unless Nikki drinks out of the flask and right before he's gonna drink out of the flax beefy shows up and shoots a harpoon out of his fucking dick like what the hell dog man I know that you're a satan dog and everything like that but how the hell did you fit a harpoon in that fucking thing like can you just turn your pee in it whatever the fuck you want like that's kind of a superpower that I might want to have if you just need something you just fucking piss it it'd be great maybe it'd be kind of dirty you'd fucking have to clean it off every now and then but hey you know what you want a million bucks fucking piss over here you want a fucking gun to save your life piss out a fucking gun or just piss the fucking bullet except for you gotta walk around with your dick hanging out everywhere whenever you want to protect yourself but hey 
that's a you know a thing that I'm just gonna have to fucking live with if I can pee wherever the fuck I want. So the harpoon hits Adrian the fucking leg, and he drops Valerie, and Valerie throws him off or bites him and gets away, and they all get knocked down into where the subway train is coming. Nikki sees her in trouble, runs down there, knocks into Adrian, throws Valerie back onto the tracks, and then Adrian and Nikki die. Nikki. He doesn't get sent to hell. Adrian does. And he sees his father there. And before that, you know, Satan, he reveals that, you know, at his weakened state, the throne could be taken over by either one of the brothers if they, if Nikki doesn't bring them back in time. So when Adrian comes down, he's like, what the hell is going on? Whereas Nikki, and especially since now that they're all supposed to be in, in hell together, we find out that Nikki... Because he saved, you know, Valerie, he's been sent up to heaven, and he gets to meet a special someone. Can I ask you something? What do you know about your mom? My mom. My brothers tell me that she was a mountain goat, which would explain my chronic halitosis. A mountain goat? That's really sweet. Jenna, chair. Thanks. My mother wasn't a goat. Try an angel. An angel? I'm your mom. If you're my mom, then how come you're not older? Angels don't get any older, son. I can't believe you just called him son. This is so wild! (laughs) Krista! Time for your mambo lesson. Tabs, I'm so sorry. I totally spaced. I have company. This is my son, Mickey. Hi. Hi. Tabs used to be a golf pro, but up here he's just the dopest dance instructor. Oh, that's nice. You mambo? I don't think so. It's all in the hips. It's all in the hips. Bye, Tabs. That's right, Nikki runs into Carl Weathers himself playing Chubbs in fucking heaven. Like, that is the most random fucking thing. If you don't know who Chubbs is, you've never seen fucking Happy Gilmore. So, that means that Happy Gilmore and little Nikki's worlds are fucking connected in some fucking way? Does that mean that there's a whole, like, Sandler-verse that's going on in this fucking thing? It's really fucking weird. Like... That was really... I thought that John Witherspoon was out of left field. I thought that Quentin Tarantino was out of left field. This truly, truly was the third time in this movie I was sent for a loop. I'm like, holy shit, it's fucking Chubbs. Not to mention the fact that Reese Witherspoon plays his mom. But, hey, you know, I knew that she was going to pop up at some time because her name was a part of the credit somewhere. So, it's just really odd that he just shows up in the fact that he says it's all in the hips it's all in the hips like i thought that was a nice little easter egg for the film so he's now up in heaven and adrian is now down there in hell and he finally figures out there's a way that he can find out what the fuck is actually going on in this room will tell you a thing adrian what hey let him go perhaps a titty twister will loosen your lips Oh, hey, I'm getting turned on. Okay, okay. Oh, I know. Yes? That if you sit in that throne in your father's weakened condition... To the no. You can claim the seat of power for your own. Whoa! Really? As the founder of hell, I command you to stay off that throne. Hey! Even in hell, I get no respect. 
Put me down. Put me down. No. So again, the fucking music cue in the fucking background starts playing Power Man 5000 when worlds collide because he's starting to take over the throne. And he's the line that he's, you know, whatever. And who is the devil? Like, come on. Why do you have to be so fucking on the nose with this fucking bullshit that you're only using this 30 second fucking clip to basically explain the fucking scene that you're doing here? So... Yeah, he finally learns that he can take over the throne by giving the gatekeeper guy a fucking titty twister on his head. It's also quite funny, though, that Rodney Dangerfield gets knocked over and he's like, even in hell I get no respect. That's the worst fucking Rodney Dangerfield you're ever going to fucking hear. And I'm, well, you're welcome. Uh, So, (laughs) back up in heaven, after Adrian now is going to be basically becoming the devil, but he's not the devil quite yet because dad still needs to die. But he's slowly taking over the throne. You see the horns growing out of his head. And then we go back up to heaven. And, you know, good old mom explains a little more of what's going on. How she met dad. And then they check in to see that Adrian is becoming kind of a prick. Where did you meet dad? Oh, it was a long time ago at this heaven hell mixer. I remember that night you had like four daiquiris. At first I didn't really like him. He was really conceited. Yeah, but he was funny. And I hate to admit it but he had a really hot body. <laughs> oh, puppy phone. <laughs> so cute. Hello. Hi, Michelle. Yeah, he's here right now. I don't know if he's hot. He's my son, you perv. Can I call you back? That was my friend, Michelle. She says hi. Say hi back. I'll just call her later. You know, Nikki, we totally saw you save your girlfriend's life. That was so cool. Yeah, that's why you came to heaven instead of hell. Self-sacrifice automatically gets you here. How did you see me? We can see anything that's going on on Earth. Look. Someone else is taking the internship. Oh, that's Felicity. I love that show. Do you watch? I haven't seen it, but I hear good things. I want to go to Palo Alto. This is an action news special report. Moments ago, a large chunk of what appears to be hell began to rise from beneath Central Park. Far from being terrified, many New Yorkers have begun flocking to the site, turning it into an unofficial party central. And this just in, I'm cheating on my husband with the weatherman. Show him Central Park. I love your legs. Okay, first off, fuck Felicity, fuck a fucking show, that the premise of the fucking show is that your high school fucking crush, one that you never really talked to in your life, wrote in your fucking yearbook, so that you're gonna go ahead and follow him around like a fucking stalker, Fuck that show. It's no fucking good. Why is it getting any type of fucking product placement in this fucking movie? Second of all, the joke with the phone doesn't really work as well as some of the other stuff. It's okay. It's kind of cute. The whole thing of, well, tell her I said hi. And she's like, oh, okay. I'm going to call. Oh, okay. I get it. Ditsy fucking angel. All the angels are fucking airheads. Is this the way that it works? All angels are fucking women and all devils are fucking men. Is that what you're telling me is going to happen in the afterlife? So the only place that I can possibly fucking go well I guess if I did right I'd go up to fucking heaven but I can never be a fucking angel because I don't have like the airheadedness and the big tits to be fucking angel is that what you're telling me because I got the big fucking tits I can get the airheadedness if you really let me do it I can be a fucking angel otherwise then I'm gonna go fucking hell and I can't be a fucking devil because you know what I wasn't born a fucking satan so uh, I guess 
uh, maybe I'd rather be in heaven anyway if it does truly exist, but nonetheless, and then, yeah, you'd be around airheaded angels all the time. Well, nonetheless, uh, I just, I don't get it. Like, they don't, the only person that was kind of, like, angelic was Carl fucking Weathers, but I expect Carl fucking Weathers to end up in fucking heaven. After all, he helped fight off the Predator, man. That's gotta count for fucking something. Also, he lost his hand to an alligator, so Chubbs deserves to be up there. So... They see that, they look in on Earth, and they see that shit has now gone down, because, you know what, Adrian has brought hell into Earth, and he has a surprise to all the people that have been sinning in fucking New York City. My father's throne! Is that okay? Let's see. I was a good devil, wasn't I? You are the best devil, sir! The best devil! If we fall in there, we will die, period! My underwear so far up my ass, I could taste it! I hear that. Welcome to the party! It's so nice to see you all here. Oh, I'm so proud of you. You've taken to sin with such minimal prompting. You're acting as if there is no heaven or hell. Well, I've got news for you. There is most definitely a hell. And you're all going to go there when you die, which is in about 15 minutes. Holy shit, we really are going to die! So that's Tarantino and the last time that you see him in the movie, and I think that line is fucking hilarious. Just the way that it's delivered, how it comes almost like it feels out of the middle of nowhere, and the fact that the whole time he's been trying to tell everybody we're all gonna die we're all gonna go to hell and everything like that and jesus is your savior but he's joined right in with all the fucking sinners and he's all excited and then all of a sudden when adrian turns it around and tells him that hell is definitely real he just looks and he's like we're all gonna die <laughs> it's fucking hilarious uh again you know there's only one thing that could possibly save everybody, and it happens to be Nikki. And so, you know, his mom's got a little bit more that he needs to explain to him because he's something special. He's not necessarily just, you know, a good or a bad person, I should say, but he's also got a special good inner light that he can use to help defeat Adrian. How can I win? Adrian is stronger and smarter than me. Stronger, yes. Smarter, Definitely. But you have something that he doesn't have. A speech impediment? No. The inner light, honey. And you can totally use it. It's the best power of all. I do? And God told me if you get in really bad trouble, you can use this. What is it? Okay, I'm not totally 100% on that. But God said when the time came, you'd know what to do with it. God's so smart. Like Jeopardy smart. Little boy. Mommy, get me to the Big Apple, because I'm going to rock that town like a hurricane. You're already there. Okay, Scorpion quote aside, like, the, the best part of that was God is smart, like Jeopardy smart. Like, that's fucking hilarious. It would have been great if they had made a bigger planet or a visual joke based upon that. But nonetheless, we get a little bit of humor that actually works relatively well. 
So Nikki is now going to go back down to Earth and he is going to, you know, right the wrongs, make sure that he saves his dad, make sure he saves the people because he's all of a sudden an evil good guy after this whole thing. And of course, when he gets down to Earth, he's confronted by demons and the demons all rush out of him. And then he brings out his brand new power of feel the good like he's got good guy powers where he shoots rainbows from his hands and he can create good things so the very first thing he distracts them with he distracts them with bunnies and gets all the demons are like oh my god there are all these bunnies everywhere and then he gives them something else the awesome. What you do is put it in your mouth and let the meat slide down your throat hole. Not you! Not you! Popeye's chicken is the shiznit! You gotta be fucking kidding me. Popeye's fucking chicken. There is a good joke in there when one of the demons bites the ear off of a fucking rabbit. And that's when he goes, no, not you. Like, that one is pretty well done. But this blatant fucking product placement that's going on here with... What? No. Do we... I have to do... one. What are you fucking talking about? Has podcasting gotten you tired and slow? You can no longer fight your own inner demons? Why, pick up a Ryland podcasting treat. That's right, made with the best apples and yesterday's news. Make sure you pick one up at your local grocery store. That's Ryland's podcasting treats. Everything is better with Ryland's. Getting awfully fucking tired of this cheery fucking music bullshit and these fucking things. Nothing is going to fucking save the day and make everything fucking better. Just like Popeyes isn't going to do shit in this fucking movie. What the hell is going on with this podcast? Why the hell am I getting bombarded with all these fucking ad reads and all this fucking bullshit? I never signed up for this crap. (sighs) Nonetheless, they eat the Popeyes. And they decide that they're going to turn on Adrian and they're going to go ahead and help Nikki because everything is so much fucking better now. Yay, we're all better because we had fucking Popeye's fucking chicken. We're able to fight back the other fucking demons with Popeye's fucking chicken. Is that why people are fucking killing each other over this fucking chicken sandwich? Because they're, it's not just because it tastes delicious, because it brings unity together. And if you have enough of it, you're going to fight back the demons that are eventually going to slay mankind. Is that what you're trying to fucking tell me, little Nikki? Because I guess I better go out there and get some goddamn Popeye's fucking chicken right now. So, he takes the demons that have eaten the Popeyes and goes to confront Adrian. And you probably get the other scene in the film that made me laugh the fuck out loud. Even with this little, it's just a little thing. But how it happens is so well done. Little Nicky. Little Nicky! Adrian, I'm asking you nicely. Let my friends alone. And get in the flask. Is this a joke? No, it's the inner light. And with it, we can defeat whatever you got. It's true. It's not true. Run, traitors, run! 
Not even fucking Popeyes can save the day here. I still fucking laugh at it. This is a very visual scene. I get it. The guy blows up. But it's not just the fact that the guy blows up. That part is still really funny. It's just like, it's through. And then he fucking explodes everywhere. And then it's not through. And then you hear the clucking sounds because this giant box of Popeye's chicken, I guess it was a lie. Popeye's really can't fight back evil because it gets up and there's chicken feet underneath the goddamn Popeye's box. He's just fucking running away. It's so fucking terrible. It's so fucking stupid. But it makes me laugh so goddamn much. Even when I hear it, it makes me fucking laugh. And you don't catch it right away if you're not paying attention to it. Because it's just with the chicken noises, you're only hearing it here. It's one of those scenes where you uh, really do have to see it. And so now starts the big battle between Adrian and Nikki. And Adrian, you know, Nikki, he's only got about 10 minutes left before he can bring Adrian back to hell and revive his dad. Otherwise, Adrian wins. Everybody fucking dies. Hell on earth. Cats and dogs living together. You know, all this shit is going to go fucking down. And not even Peter Venkman can come in and save the fucking day. So... He starts off with doing the, you know, share the good type things or or release the good. And he creates a good thing. And then Adrian makes a bad thing. You know, he brings out a baby. Adrian turns it into a midget. And then from when it's a midget, you know, it turns into, uh, you know, he puts the other person, makes it a midget wife. So it makes him happy. And then eventually Adrian knocks him over and he's flying down. We also get Rob Schneider cameo here saying, you can do it, Nikki. And so we get the first shot of that, which I didn't want to grab that one because it's there's a lot of other things that are kind of going on. So forces him to fall. He makes a bed before he lands on the ground. And then Adrian tries to jump on top of him, but he ends up landing on the bed as well. And Nikki and him get into a pillow fight where Nikki is actually really good with the pillows and is able to basically beat the shit out of his brother with said pillows. So they, they're fighting back and forth and eventually they both end up inside the flask And there's a giant fight with the flask just kind of bouncing around. Like, I get it. It's kind of a joke because you're making it in a way like, oh, there's an epic fight going on, but you can't fucking see it because, you know, it's all happening inside the flask. But I would have liked it to, like, cut back and, like, actually show what's going on inside of there. I thought it would have been at least somewhat interesting, even if it was silly, even if it was dumb. Maybe there was, like, a deleted scene where they showed them in there. But eventually, Nikki comes out victorious. Everybody cheers, and everybody's happy. And then he goes to kiss Valerie, and then Valerie's like, wait, this is not right. And it turns out that it was really Adrian was the one that was inside of, or pretended to be Nikki, and was trying to make out with Valerie there. So he turns into a bat and he flies off. And of course, Valerie, she's got to use the power of love to get him out of the flask, get Nikki out there. And then Nikki uses the orb and we get one last guest appearance that comes and saves the day. And if you can guess what it is, uh, you knew as much as I did when it was starting. Not love now! Soon it will all be mine! Nikki! I know you can do it! Run, run! Do it for the butterflies! Butterflies? (gasps) Oh, the power of good lets you fly out! Well, you're too late, Nikki! Behold your new Satan! 
What? What's that? What's with the ball? <laughs> Are they? Holy shit. No, 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 no! You can do it, Ozzy! Bite his freaking head off! No! Spit him in the flash! Get in here, Ozzy! Grand Central, Nikki! Start running! We'll never make it! You gotta die! I'll just go to heaven! Not if you do something bad right before you die! You're right! Hey, Nikki! Cover Winkler in bees. You can do it. Sorry, Henry. Ah! Okay, kill me. With what? I don't know. I don't know. Here, kill him with this. <laughs> I'll never forget you guys. And we will never forget you, my friend. <laughs> Valerie. So she crushes his head with the rock, which sends him into hell, and then the good stuff starts to happen. But before we really get into that, there's a couple things, okay? One, you knew when the bat happened, and he was talking about Ozzy Osbourne earlier in the film, that Ozzy was the one that was going to come and save the day and bite the head off the bat. That just, I felt like that was coming, that there was something going on with that, especially when he's flying around. I was like, oh God. But it is really funny to see the... The out of towner, the townie from the water boy, be there to say, tell Ozzy to bite the head off the bat. Um, the whole effect of him coming out of Ozzy's mouth to go into the flask is terrible. It looks awful. And Ozzy looks great, you know, and, and it's weird. So Ozzy's an agent for like God in heaven, which I guess doesn't mean that he's the prince of darkness anymore. I don't fucking know. Um, it's just so ridiculous. The whole little sequence of everything that happens right here at the end of the film, I just was like, oh my god, can this fucking be over? Can it be over soon? Can it be over right now? But no, we've got a little bit more to go. And of course, there's the thing with Henry Winkler as well, um, who also was in The Waterboy. Um, but it's actually Henry Winkler playing himself, not playing the coach, right? So in the, the first time that you meet you actually saw him before, and Adrian, like, caused bees to swarm on of him. So, when you see him here, he's covered in fucking bee bites, or bee stings, I guess you should say. And then he's got to have the bees again. I guess that's sin enough to send you back down to hell? Well, I guess if you fuck with the fawns, then, you know, you got to go to fucking hell. So... We go back into hell and we see that everything is starting to right itself. The flames are no longer, you know, solid or frozen over and that everybody's back in hell. Dad's starting to look great. And we get towards the end of the film where we get the last little theme song. And then there are some things that get read over the credits and we'll talk about them after the scene is over. Dad! Dad! You're all right! You came through, Nikki. I can do it for you, Dad. I can't do for mom and the butterflies. You're back in hell now, kid. There are no butterflies here. If you want butterflies, you need to be on Earth. What about you and Grandpa and everybody in hell? Nikki, I let my butterflies die once upon a time, and it's never stopped hurting. That's right. You heard me, Holly. I'm still in love with you! 
my god, he's talking about me. And don't think I forgot about how crazy you get after a few daiquiris. <sighs> that guy is still the biggest horn dog. <laughs> yeah, he is. Listen, I got down low. Your mom's got up high. You take care of the middle. Okay, Dad. But in the words of Motley Crue, this will always be my home, sweet home. Don't be afraid to show your face. You're such a handsome boy. <laughs> I hate to interrupt, but... Uh... <laughs> time for him as punishment. Oh, I'll take that. Maybe they're gonna let us out. Run, Pa. Okay, kids. Enjoy your new home. No, 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 no. no. Oh, holy <laughs> shit! <laughs> Such a little angel. Only a quarter, man. Tickle, tickle. Sorry. God fucking damn it. I can't... I knew that fucking song was going to show up at some fucking point in this fucking movie. So, there it is. It's Little Nicky. You have him going back. His father's like, you know what? You don't need to be a part of hell. I can take care of hell. Your mom can take care of heaven. And because you're between heaven and hell, then you can watch over. So, basically, is he immortal for the rest of his life? He has his fucking Popeye's fucking outfit on. Again, no, I'm not doing any more of those fucking ad reads. Fuck you. So, there's these fucking, like... (laughs) He's wearing the fucking Popeye's uniform. And he's walking with Valerie. And now they've got a fucking kid. And fucking Beefy's now walking with him at the same time. So... I guess it's a happy ending for him. He finally got the girl that he needed. He finally ended up working at the place that he is at. Is he immortal? We don't fucking know. He has mortal tendencies. But if he dies, I guess that he's just fucking shown back at hell and then ending up back there. Or did they turn him into a mortal permanently? But no, his son is belching fucking fire. So then his son has got a third or a quarter or whatever the fuck you want to call it of fucking demon in him. So he's still able to do that. And he's got evil powers because according to all the credit like little things on top, like he got in trouble because he fucking turned some kid's coke into moose piss inside the daycare or some shit like that. Not the coke, but probably the breast milk or milk or whatever the fuck it is. And then like, you know... Valerie and him lived happily ever after, but she was trying to do something with tomatoes and then smacked him in the face. Then everything went back to normal, but he's still no George Clooney. Um, You have the brother is still stuck in the anus of Hitler. 
you have Beefy marrying his girlfriend that he talked about during the pot scene, uh, which was a sewer rat, his ex-girlfriend, and he found her again, and they got married, and they have some of the ugliest fucking kids that you're ever going to see, and they show pictures of rats with dogs' bodies and dogs with uh, rats' bodies. So it's, you know, a happy ending for everybody, and everybody seems to be relatively happy um, after the end of that. But, you know, the dad tried dating the mom again, turned out it didn't work, but now he's romantically linked to both the Blair Witch and Cher. Like, all this stuff is relatively stupid, not really that funny. Maybe in the context, if you really enjoy the characters, you'd probably find it super funny. I was just like, it needs to fucking end. Just end the fucking movie at this point. Uh, so, that's it. That's Little Nicky. And, um, you know, going through it again, what I can say is that it wasn't as terrible as I remembered it, but it wasn't any better than I thought it might be again. Like, I thought that I might have been a little more into it this time. Maybe some of the jokes aged a little better. Maybe there's a couple points you know, where I would laugh, and there was. I remember just hating this movie when I first saw it. Like, I just could not get through it, and I have honestly was kind of dreading it, leading it all the way up to releasing this podcast, of watching it, taking notes, having to go through it two more times, do it. But you know what? I fucking survived. Um, it's not that bad, uh, but it's not, it's not a good movie in any way. Well, in some ways, you know, it, it has its moments... But overall, I just, you know, is it a movie that you should see? Your mileage is really going to vary. Like, if you want to see some of the physical humor that's here, or you want to see some of the sight gags that they do, then definitely watch it. If you feel like you laughed and you think that you would find it funny, overall, do it. If you cringe the entire time that you were listening to it, no. So your mileage may vary. I don't think you need to see it. I think this was perfectly fine there's probably some stuff that i kind of left out because i don't feel like it's that important to like going through the whole thing but uh you know overall it's still you know it has its place in time it could be a very fun moment like movie to watch uh and like i said the actors really are having fun with it it's not like it's just a paycheck and that's the reason that i'm there which is the problem I have with a lot of more current Adam Sandler movies. This movie really feels like he put a lot of, you know, ideas into it and he felt that it was going to be a smash and then it turned out that it really wasn't. It was a financial flop for the studio that put it out. Uh even though I think that, you know, I think with advertising and everything the way that it was, yeah, 85 million's a lot to put into it, but it did pretty well and I think it's got a decent cult following for home distribution, so uh, as always, since I have to rate the movie, um, there really isn't any gore to speak of. There's some really disgusting things that are in it. You know, the dog pee, the vomit, things like that. Um, and I'd give it a 1 out of 5. I don't rate anything really a 0, so 1 out of 5 is where it sits. Um, I might even knock it down to like a half out of 5 out of everything. The Crap Factor, it's a 4 out of 5. It has some jokes that just really miss. I just... Like everybody else that's probably reviewed that 
didn't really care much for the film. I don't know why he had to put on the fucking voice. Like, there was no reason for that. There was no reason for him to do those types of things. Or even to do, like, the weird slack-jawed thing. He didn't really have to do that. He could have just done the weird wispy voice and been fucking done with it. And there's a couple of times where, like, it just... It doesn't make any fucking sense. And you could get Valerie straight out of this whole fucking movie. Other than we have to have a kid at the end. We have to live happily ever after. And have always do me, 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 me. So where the fuck that needs to go to. And I wish that Harvey Keitel would have been in it more. Because I really did like his depiction of the devil. Even though the devil's kind of a pussy in this movie. But so is Nikki. And it does kind of fit the whole thing. Um, and then you, the guy that plays uh, Cassius, you know, Debo. He had one big scene, but the true, you know, antagonist of the movie is Adrian, and that kind of sucks. I wish there would have been something where the two of them went against Nikki, and then Nikki was able to beat them both, and whatever. I mean, he tricked Cassius really easily, but that's also because he doesn't have the brains, he just has the bronze. So it gets a 4 out of 5. Uh, the fun factor... I'm going to actually be surprised against a 3 out of 5, because some of the jokes actually do work rel- relatively well. Uh, there's a couple of sight gags that work. Um, it's just, when it's dumb humor, it's dumb. It's really dumb. When it's smart, it's pretty damn smart. And it's got a couple of things that are very subtle, and I wish that it stayed more in the smart and subtle area of the humor, because I do find some of those things relatively funny when they fit the character. But, you know, the problem is, is that you just don't have a likable protagonist. You don't really care. You don't really give a shit. I mean, you care more the fact that the devil isn't going to get back to himself. And your two antagonists, one, like I said, he really doesn't matter to the film either. And the other brother, he's actually pretty fun. I mean, I could do without the metal guys too. But they add a kind of humor to the film. And I found that they were a lot funnier than the roommate. And I love that guy. That guy in Grandma's Boy is fucking great. Um, I just, in this film, like, that character could also be just thrown out. Same thing with Beefy. Well, Beefy's kind of integral to the prop, like, the whole plot of the film. So, with that being said, the final rating that I'm going to give this film is a 2 out of 5 titheads. Um, it's just, like, the enjoyment, the fun factor that even I gave it even out of 3 out of 5, my book, isn't that kind of low if you thought it was kind of fun? I do, but there's just so much that fucking annoys me, it still brings it fucking down. Like, I could have easily made the crap factor a 5 out of 5 just for stuff that the plot did and for characters that were in it. But, you know, like I said, the acting actually is pretty good. For what it is, I fucking wish that John Lovitz's character had shown up at like the end of the film as like an in-joke or something like that. That would have been really smart, and he's done those types of things. The Rob Schneider cameo, I could have done with fucking out. Same thing with the, uh, you know, Ozzy Osbourne one. But the fact that Chubb shows up, I think that's fucking, like, hilarious when it happens. And I was totally surprised. And John Witherspoon is possibly the best part of this fucking movie. You know, you're, you're gonna have to prove me wrong with that one. So... You know, it just sits there at a two out of five titheads. So with that being said, we are now getting into the Christmas season. So we're going to go away from hell and we're going to still kind of stay on the more comedic side of horror, if you will. And I'm going to look at a film from 2018 and originally, you know, let me go through what my original plans were. And I decided to kind of go back and let's just leave December for Christmas movies. 
Um, originally, I was going to do the Velocipaster because it's on Amazon Prime. I'm going to save it. I'm going to save it for a little bit. Um, figure out how long maybe it might be on there. I'm going to try to watch it, maybe get it prepared and get it ready for later. Like, it's going to be a couple months down the road. But I do want to do it so, you know, I kind of want to do that one and the Killer Sofa movie at the same time. The Killer Sofa is available on Amazon, but it's not Prime right now. But you can rent it. You can watch it. Um, But, you know, I'm going to try to get both of those knocked out and see. I want to make sure that they're going to be good enough for the podcast. Like, it's not going to be a Thanksgiving 3 where I turn it off and I or, or want to turn it off, but I said that I would do it. The Velocipaster probably is going to be a guarantee. The Killer Sofa, uh, still not sure. But that's probably like February time frame. So I decided to go back because I thought Velocipaster, he's a priest. Christmas, Jesus, it works. I'm just going to do it. You know what? No, I'm going to do it. It's going to be all holiday themed uh, horror movies. So the first one is going to be, you know, this movie that came out that was a part of Dread Central. It's a Dread Central Presents and it's called Sleigh Bells. It's Christmas Eve, and we're on our way to what might be the most exciting urban exploring adventure. And you never know what dirty things will come your way. I dare you to eat this. My property and I'm Santa and that thing out there that is no animal and I'm the tooth fairy I'm Santa and that's Krampus the devil of Christmas okay what is going on we have to save the world from that monster out there I do think we made Santa's naughty list. <laughs> One, two, three, so that is the first film that we're going to be doing for December. We've actually got three podcasts. Because like I said, there is still going to be a holiday special. I'm not going to say what that holiday special is going to be. It's going to be like last year. It'll be a surprise. It'll be dropped out. But I will say that it's going to be with our buddy Phantom Dark Dave. Um, We're going to try to do, at least I'm going to try to convince him to do a holiday special every year um, where I get to pick the movie and he comes over. But, uh, you know, with everything that's going on with Dave's Pop Culture Podcast, we'll have to see what happens uh, if there is any special type of treat that goes over on that podcast um, like we did last year. But nonetheless, I think it should still be a lot of fun, um, you know, that that special, I'm saying. Then after that, there will be After Christmas. There will be another holiday-themed uh, movie, which is going to be a little more lighthearted as well. I don't want to give away what it is. But I've been, I wanted to see it last year. I didn't see it. It's available on Prime, so I'm going to watch it. Then in January... This is all just giving you little things. So I kind of set it out today. And uh, in January, I'm going to do Kurt Russell movies. We're actually going to do two films. Uh, and one of them 
I'm definitely having a guest on. And the other one, it's up in the air whether or not there's going to be a guest. And it's going to be somebody new. Um, and that person has not seen the Kurt Russell film that I'm planning to do, which is a travesty. And so if I can get that person the movie, uh, they can watch it and then they can be a part of the podcast and we can do and roll the whole thing. Uh, but January is also very busy for me because that is also CES. And so I'll be out at CES uh, during the first full week of January. Uh, but nonetheless, you guys will still have a podcast. It'll still be fun and entertaining. Um, and uh, I just need to make sure that my guest is well prepared to be on that podcast. Um, so and that movie is going to be fun. These two Kurt Russell movies, uh, they're two movies that I love. And they're going to be a lot of fun. You probably have guessed what one of them is. But the other one, uh, you maybe maybe you're surprised. We'll find out. But yeah, and then in February, we'll look at Velocipaster and possibly Killer Sofa. So uh, that gives you a little insight onto the roadmap for the Terrible Terror podcast. Or if there's a third day left in January that I can't figure out, like a third weekend, then maybe Velocipaster like, moves into January. We'll find out. So... With uh, all that being said, of course, you can always find the podcast. It's available on Twitter, T underscore T underscore podcast. You can also find the podcast on Facebook, facebook.com slash Terrible Terror Podcast, Instagram, Terrible Terror Podcast, and you can see all of the October mini reviews as well as just general movie reviews on the Terrible Terror Podcast YouTube page. And so I hope you guys really enjoyed it. Uh, you enjoyed these little stretches of films. And I will see you guys next time on another episode of the Terrible Terror Podcast. We'll see you later. What the fuck do you mean I gotta read another one of these fucking things? Who the fuck is gonna eat a podcast treat? It's made from fucking apples and newspaper. What the hell? No, I'm not some kind of, like, corporate chill. I don't even know why you signed us up for these things. I mean, come on, this ad break, have you read this before? Oh, come on. No, no, this is not going to make me any fucking extra money. I'll make shit from this thing. Oh, fuck you.